This is Unfilter, episode 224 for February 1st, 2017. President Trump's hardline approach on immigration and terror, causing protests, disruptions at airports, and now a messy fight with the Justice Department. The controversial moves have senior counselor Stephen Bannon's fingerprints all over them. Tonight, there's new concern over Bannon's massive influence over the president and his aggressive style. I think anger is a good thing. I think if you're fighting, this country's in a crisis. Everybody, welcome to Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. Judge Watch is finally over. We're going to talk about that. We're going to do some cyber and a whole bunch more. I'm Chase. There's Chris over there at the controls. Hey, Chris. Who, us do a cyber chase? I know. Never. ASL, buddy. <laughs> yeah, we actually have some really good stuff. So, yes, we yeah. will do a cyber update. We're fixing all of the cyber, if you haven't heard. Oh, good. Yeah, we'll I'm tell you, we'll we tell you about that. that some interesting potential cooperation coming between Russia, the U.S., and Assad. We'll do a little bit of terrorism news. And then, holy crap, do we have some Trump stuff. And I, I saved some <laughs> of it for later on. Now, now but Chris, the, the way that you're talking about Trump, I mean, maybe you have some sort of an agenda. <laughs> there's, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We shouldn't talk about Trump. Mm, there, you know what? I would uh, I would be I would but, be elated. Yeah, but then we'd get all the like, why aren't you guys talking about Trump? Well, let's be honest. That's what's making news this week. Yeah, I fair mean, enough. Yeah. But I do have a collection of things. So if you don't want the Trump coverage, never fear, my friends. We do have some things that are not something you can nibble on. They're not directly Trump related, but but not at no okay our, that's not true for our first story our first cyber story comes from donald trump this is a press conference he held where he announced he's fixing the cyber today i'm convening this meeting to follow through on my promise to secure crucial infrastructure and the networks that we've been talking so much about over the last period of time of the federal government against cyber threats <laughs> Sorry, I laughed there just because he had to stop and the way he enunciated that cyber threats against cyber threats. I think we did an ISO of that of producer Matt listening. <laughs> cyber threats. threats. That is good against cyber threats. I will hold my cabinet secretaries and agency heads accountable, totally accountable, totally yeah, for totally. the cybersecurity of their organization, of which we. Probably don't have as much, certainly not as much as we should have. We must defend and protect federal networks and data. Okay. We operate these networks on behalf of the American people, and they are very important and very sacred. So you get the idea. Okay. And this whole executive order thing is going to make them have to report back things in 30 days, hold them accountable. All right. I don't know how well they're going to do, though, because... <laughs> Good luck. The, the, I mean, first off, I like the idea. You know, all right, send me your hate mail. Go ahead. I mean, I like the idea of making sure that our networks are secure, right? I mean, you as a system admin, you you realize the importance of having a secure network, right? 
I, I grant you that. I feel like executive action is such a limited means. I mean, you can make people generate reports. You yeah. can do that. You yeah. can direct some things, but you have limited control, really. Right. A lot of the stuff needs to be pushed in other, other ways. What this feels like is, uh, hey, guys, write me up every executive action I can take that fulfills a campaign promise as fast as possible. <laughs> it feels like we're checking off a list right That's now. What it, you know what? You're right. I was thinking about that the other day. I was just like, is the reason why he's just doing this show so he could say he did all these promises before something bad happens? I don't know. I, I mean, just, after all these ex- executive actions are, are signed, is he going to hold a press conference and say, look, I've fulfilled, I've made this promise, if, this promise, and this promise? If I was the president, what I would do is I would sprinkle the executive orders over the course of a few months, not do it in the first couple of weeks. You don't want to bust your wad early. That's, that's Ooh, Apparently, they feel like they might, they're going to strike while the iron is hot. Fair enough. And I'm not, so, I'm not really so convinced they're going to have much success when it comes to the cyber because apparently the U.S. military continues to struggle with the online ISIS hackers. The U.S. military has struggled with the online fight against the Islamic State terrorists, and some of its contractors have tried to cover that up. That's according to a report and an investigation by the Associated Press. I wonder if it's something more like there's no such thing as online ISIS hackers and we've hired a bunch of contractors to fight them. <laughs> and so they've covered up the fact that nothing's been done because there is nothing to do. And, uh, yeah, very good point. In an article out a short time ago, the AP breaks down a national security program known as Web Ops. Its team members search social media for potential ISIS recruits. My God. <laughs> This is what we spend our tax dollars on, searching Twitter and your, Facebook. Your, your tax dollars at work, ladies and gentlemen. Incredible. This is how we fight cyber ISIS. Its team members search social media for potential ISIS recruits and try to talk them out of joining the terror group. But according to some current but, and but former Chris, web ops... Aren't we like massly co- collecting all this, this metadata, if you will, and we can just use a computer to do a search? Isn't that the entire point of the NSA is to watch for terrorism? That's what I thought. Yeah, well, Why constitution, we- small institution, Chase. So do you think somebody that's being paid 12, 14, 15 bucks an hour doing searches on, on Facebook and Twitter are really going to find crap like that? No. Well, I think where you're wrong is it's probably more like 50 to 120 an hour. Yeah, fair, yeah, fair enough. Workers who spoke with the AP... Some of these Arabic specialists don't have much experience. Specialist, Jay, so 150 an hour. Oh, Arabic specialists. Okay. And counterterrorism, counterterrorism work, and they often don't understand Islam that well. By way of example, one former worker claims some translators mix up the Arabic word for authority and the word for salad. And some web ops workers say they've seen people manipulate data to make it look like the multi-million dollar program is working a lot better than it actually is. And wow, Fox is actually reporting this? And I, again, I will tell you, because all of the ISIS accounts are puppet accounts. They're fake accounts. They come up for a little while. Get they, a few hundred followers. And then they shut down. They're fake puppet accounts. Pentagon officials have declined to comment on this report. Desmond Butler is one of its co-authors. He's an investigative reporter with the Associated Press and live with us from across from the White House. Thank you. Thank you. The big finding here, it's not working very well. Some specific examples of why? Yeah, um, we talked to uh, dozens of people for this story, and some of the people who were doing the hands-on work told us that there was widespread incompetence, that some of the, as you said, Arabic specialists um, were were not exactly specialists, and um, they would... uh, they're they're getting ridiculed online. Um, they're they're also being told to um, skew their data to to make the program look good. Oh, oh 
So is it the contractor's fault or are the contractors being told to skew their data? Who tells them to do that? Um, according to people that we talk to, you know, who, who, who have been directly asked, it's managers on the program. And, and have, did you confront those managers? Or have you been able to get any comment from those in charge? Uh, we did talk to one manager who declined to comment um, and referred us to the, the company, the Alabama-based company, Colso Corp., um, who, who declined to comment. So yeah, this is the famous blame it on the contractor situation, and you can see how well they're doing the cyber. They're doing the cyber so, so well. So good. Did you hear about uh, these U.K. universities that have been, have been, were sort of caught and now admitted to monitoring students' emails? No. Did, yeah, they wanted to suss out um, radicalism in the schools. One of the UK's top universities, King's College London, has become the latest in Britain to admit to monitoring student and staff emails, raising concerns about privacy. The monitoring is part of the government's counter-extremism strategy to stop radicalism on campuses. RT's Polly Boyka has more. Anywhere where you work or study pretty much has an intranet. And now the King's College email has a message when you log into it that says that uh, anyone who uses the system in excess of their authority is subject to having their activities monitored and recorded. And the university cites the government's anti-terrorism strategy, which is called Prevent, as the reason for this monitoring uh, right that they have. And the university is basically just being honest about its obligations in order to stay on the right side of the law, but oh. it's something that's got students very much bothered. University is a time when young people, a lot of them choose to explore uh, politics and d- take part in debates and all sorts of political activity. And many are now saying that they feel intimidated as a result of this. It's a feeling that's particularly strong amongst the Muslim student community. And it's a source of concern, actually, not just to the students in King's College, but across the country, because King's College isn't the only university doing this. And you might have guessed that the prevent strategy is pretty unpopular. It's been unpopular ever since it was uh, unveiled and it now includes universities and schools. So professors and teachers are required to report any students who they suspect of being extremists. And a lot of professors disagree with this. They say that it creates the wrong atmosphere, that they're expected to spy on their students. And it's also resulted in some pretty farcical mistakes. You wouldn't want universities Universities to be the place of radical and extreme thought. No. That would be bad. No. I mean, you wouldn't want a lot of uh, big thinking kind of new ideas, perhaps trying to shake up the status quo. That's not where the university... You mean, you mean open conversation and, and exchanging with your peers have and that. learning? Can't you don't want to learn that. at school. Got it. Don't worry, Chase. The fight to ISIS is coming from both Trump and Putin now. Good evening. We know this uh, conversation ended uh, a little while ago, but what, what details have come out then? What do we know so far? Well, Andrew, President Trump was scheduled to speak to five world leaders today, but his phone call with President Putin was undoubtedly the most anticipated one, and some would even argue the most important one. And it's fair to say that the phone call and the two leaders, well, they did not disappoint. As <laughs> RT is so... They vow to work closely together and on a personal level to reboot Russian-U.S. ties, which have hit an all-time low. So this call goes, they they commit to working together on uh, ISIS, and shortly after, Trump orders what he's calling safe zones in Syria. The change of U.S. policy seems to be in the making, as President Donald Trump orders the development of safe zones in Syria for refugees fleeing war. 
Now, what I'm concerned about is safe zones just sound like a reheated idea called no-fly zones, which would be or an a act green of war. zone or a green area. You know, we've heard that term, too. I'll absolutely do safe zones in Syria for the people. I think that Europe has made a tremendous mistake by allowing these millions of people to go into Germany and various other countries. And all you have to do is take a look. It's, it's a disaster what's happening over there. Well, it's very confused what uh, Mr. Trump actually had in mind. I, I'm afraid he's not very well informed on the whole general situation. Well, I mean, does he not know that there are already safe zones and camps run by the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees in, in Turkey, in Jordan, in Lebanon? I mean, The only way this could work is if the U.S. and Russia, because Russia is Assad's air support, work yeah. together for these safe zones. And and the only point would really be to, I guess, supplement what the UN is already doing. I am extremely concerned that Trump has no effing idea what he's talking about when it comes to Syria. Or he's been told what's going on and he's just blatantly ignoring it or not attending I to it. Or... I, 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 I doubt it. I, if anything, I would think that uh, his military advisors would just be exploiting his ignorance. Sometimes I, th- I feel like, though, he, he does get the information, but when he shares it with the American people or he does these sit-down interviews that he he just forgets about it or he just, just goes off the cuff. I mean, it's... I talk about yeah. this a little bit in the overtime coming up, but uh, I've read a few things that basically suggest that the man has almost no attention span at all. And he takes in what he takes in. Most of that's what he reads on his own or watches on TV. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but just essentially like there's... One of the reasons why there's not much point in giving him the traditional daily briefing is because he won't pay attention. He can't. So you give him the bullet points, the highlights, you let him make the high-level executive decision. And I worry that he's internalized certain information about Syria and the people – Or he's relying on a lot of other people to make those decisions and he's just going, yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah. Do you remember uh, – oh, boy, it's a Democratic senator. I think she's in the Senate. It's either that or – I can't remember, but she's out of Hawaii. We've talked about her before. Oh, Gabbard, uh, D- Gibbard, D- 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 Gassi, some, some, yeah, I know uh, what you're talking about. She and um, uh, another Democrat took a flight over to Syria. That's and, right. And yeah. went there for seven days. And uh, she's been getting a lot of shit for this. A lot of shit. And uh, in fact, so much shit that now she's just going to pay for the trip herself. It was being paid for by by another group and she's she's just going to pay for uh, it. Tulsi Gabbard. Gabbard. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and she had a she had a lot of interesting observations after spending seven days in Syria. She goes there, and she did it on her own dime, is what she said. I mean, she has to. Well, she's yeah. going to now because she's been getting so much shit for it. I mean, she's been getting un, an unbelievable amount of crap for it. It's really kind of too bad. Uh, people are really attacking her. And while she was there, she ended up talking to the people, but she actually also ended up talking about or talking to Assad. And I think this is sort of a big deal that a Democratic lawmaker is going over there and getting a sense of what's going on herself. Right. Well, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad has an unlikely defender, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. At some personal risk, the Hawaii Democrat recently made a secret seven-day trip to Syria and Lebanon, where she met Assad along with many civilians and clergy and soldiers caught up in the conflict there. When she came back, she denounced the previous administration's efforts to depose Assad as both illegal and harmful to the Syrian people and American interests. She had a meeting with Trump, I think, on November 26th, uh, I believe it was around there, uh, about Syria. What did she see there? Congresswoman Gabbard is with us tonight. Congresswoman, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you very much. So you met with Assad. Not many people can say that. Um, And Donald Trump, of course, at the same time has been emphasizing his plan to take on ISIS directly. We're not exactly sure what that means. But based on your conversation with President Assad, do you think the Assad government would welcome an alliance 
with the U.S. military to fight ISIS? Uh, first of all, in your intro, I just want to make a correction. I'm not a defender of Assad. I didn't go to Syria to meet with Assad. It was not even part of the plan initially. I went oh. there to visit with the Syrian people to uh, share uh, the care, the, the love and the aloha that the people of our country have for them and to see the situation on aloha, the ground just. for myself. Uh, when the opportunity presented itself to meet with President Assad, I took it simply because I believe that if we profess to care for the Syrian people, if we want to end the suffering for them, we have to be willing to meet with whomever we need to. They're showing B-roll of a church that was established in the mid-1800s, which was and has continued to get bombed. Uh, in order to accomplish that. And, and that was much of what I discussed with him in that meeting, was how do we get to a place where we can end this war, where uh, the terrorists in his country can be defeated, terrorists like al-Qaeda and ISIS and all of these other groups that are working with them, uh, and make it so that the Syrian people are able to, to move on with their lives, to make it so that the Syrian refugees who have fled Syria to not only the Middle East, but Europe and other parts of the world are able to return home. So I mean, Wouldn't that be the real fix wow. for the refugee crisis right there? Return home. Yeah. But what do you say about U.S. policy? I mean, you, you spoke to him again. Not many people have done that recently. Is he open to some sort of alliance with the United States, assuming the Trump administration is open to that as well? What did, what did Assad say to you? Uh, I think he is looking uh, for what our president, new president, Donald Trump, would see as a shared interest with him, with Syria. Uh, and the shared interest that he has seen is this commitment to defeating ISIS, this commitment to defeating uh, this terrorist threat that not only uh, exists for the people of Syria, but it exists for the Middle East and for the world. And if uh, this threat continues to grow, uh, it's something, again, that becomes uh, even more real than it is already for the American people. Now, why, why do you think that the entire foreign policy establishment in Washington, really on a bipartisan basis, and certainly the Obama administration, put toppling the Assad regime at the top of the priority list. You know, it's unfortunate, but it continues. Uh, oh, this is where she loses me. She doesn't say pipelines at all. A track uh. record of foreign policy decisions that the United States has made. I think this is where we underestimate the, the, the people in the State Department and in the CIA, the people who don't really get voted in every four years, that they just hang out and stick around. They wanted Assad out and they didn't want Assad out because they're foolish and just were arrogant about the impacts, which is her supposition. I think it went much further than that. But I'll let her say her piece. Even in the recent past, beginning with Iraq and toppling the uh, Saddam Hussein uh, with Libya and toppling Gaddafi. Uh, and now in Syria uh, to topple well, What's uh, the thinking Assad. behind it? I mean, you've thought about this. What, why Assad? I mean, I'm not, it's not a defense it's, of Assad it's or his brutality. this idea that the United not? States should be the world's police and that the United States should say, okay, here's a bad guy. We're going to go and topple this bad guy. That is such a, it feels like a child's way of viewing world politics. Doesn't it feel childish almost? A little bit. But what's uh, the thinking Assad. behind it? I mean, you've thought about this. What, why Assad? I mean, I'm not, it's not a defense it's, of Assad it's or his brutality. this idea that the United him? States should be the world's police and that the United States should say, okay, here's a bad guy. We're going to go and topple this bad guy without thinking through what the consequences of those decisions what are. What would they be if Assad were toppled? And it, doesn't, it looks less likely every day, but let's say that happened. Who would lead Syria, do you think? This is the key question, Tucker, is the reality on the ground is that the strongest force are groups like al-Nusra, which is al-Qaeda, are groups like ISIS, 
There are many different uh, radical jihadist groups. This is the real issue. You take out Assad, we've talked about it before. Yep, what yep. replaces him is way, way worse. Exactly. A high-profile Democratic congresswoman from Hawaii has just returned from a fact-finding trip to Syria. Tulsi Gabbard, who's been a very vocal critic of Obama's policies in the region, met with President Assad during her trip. She gave an interview to CNN explaining why she went. I wanted to see if there was, uh, in some small way, uh, a way that I could express the love and the aloha and the care that the American people have. She says it again on the CNN interview. Yeah. You notice that? It's, 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 a, it's a line. It's a line. Yeah. For the people of Syria and to see firsthand what was happening there, to see that situation there. Well, Gabbard spent four days in Syria. I actually, I thought, you know, she says it was seven. I don't know why RT says four, but Gabbard says seven. Well, remember, she did, they did spend, she spent time in Lebanon, too. So maybe she's complaining. Oh, the whole trip was seven days. Right. Speaking to locals across different cities in the country, she posted photos of the people she met and called for an end to America's arming of what she calls terrorist rebels in the region. She also renewed her call to stop, as she described it, regime change war in Syria. However, the thoughts of the Syrians Gabbard met didn't really get that much attention, unlike her meeting with Bashar al-Assad. In fact, her interview with the Syrian president sparked a wave of criticism. One tweet dubbed it disgraceful, while another accused her of legitimizing genocide. Some journalists even suggested that the trip itself had been organized by the Syrian government. Wow. And during the CNN interview, Gabbard's on-the-ground experience in Syria seemed to go unnoticed as well. Listen did to, you meet listen with President Bashar al-Assad? What did Assad have to say? Did you have any compunctions about meeting with somebody like that, giving him uh, any sort of enhanced credibility because a member of the United States Congress uh, would, would meet with someone like that? <laughs> he just kind of laid into her. Uh, I, I'm, I am, I, out of everybody in the Congress, though, I, I can't think of somebody I respect more right now. I don't know what her agenda is, but I really respect that she went over there. She's seen it for herself. That's what I'm thinking, too. Unless there's some sort of hidden thing that we're we're missing here. I really appreciate someone like her. And by the way, she's paying for the trip herself. This is not a taxpayer-funded trip. She planned it on her own. And before you guys go, well, is that a good idea for her? She's a major in the Army National Guard in Hawaii. And her her husband went with her, and he filmed the whole thing, too. So there's video of it. So it's not like it was a stage thing where, yeah, they showed video of the trip, but it's not like they were staging it for the news cameras or anything like that. It wasn't like a publicity stunt. I I really appreciate someone like her just trying to get the facts. And the only way you're going to get them, you know, without any partiality is by going. And and what she comes back with seems to line up with what we've observed about the situation in Syria. And uh, in fact, if anything, she doesn't seem to go far enough. Like when she talks about why we want to topple Assad, I think it's it's a little naive to say it's because he's a bad guy and or we think we're the world's police. Maybe she or she is playing it a little safe. You know, she doesn't want to revel. No, rub- see, the, yeah, that's factors. what it is, yeah, because yeah. obviously that it's sort of it's a cognitive disconnect, because then why is Saudi Arabia? Why is Qatar? Why is Turkey? Right. Why are our NATO allies also all invested in throwing over Assad? It's not because the United States thinks they're the world police. There's a much deeper reason, and it's likely due to resources. Yeah. Let's true. talk about Yemen. Okay. So the, the media has a funny way of announcing that the U.S. is now involved in ground action in Yemen. So under Obama, we had some ships in international waters 
We had refill planes up in the air. Okay. Saudi Arabia would, would fly their bombers out. They'd refill using our, our refill planes and then go back and bomb the hell out of civilians and kill innocent people. There is, a, there is an attempted government overthrow happening in Yemen. Now, Saudi Arabia and the United States back the current government. But there is a populist movement happening in Yemen that are, they're trying to overthrow the government that's backed by Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia is there to basically kill civilians that are trying to overthrow their government. And now the U.S. is involved at the ground level. And the way it gets announced to us isn't the U.S. has, you know, Trump has authorized ground force without Congress. It's, by the way, a soldier's dead. Fox News alert morning. The loss of a hero, a U.S. service member killed during a raid targeting an al-Qaeda hotbed in Yemen. American paratroopers conducting the operation, killing 14 suspected al-Qaeda militants, including three of the terror army's high-ranking officials. Three other U.S. troops also were wounded. Yeah, 14 civilians killed, too, uh, I, I believe the account was. Over a dozen civilians, including a number of children, have been killed in a U.S. operation against al-Qaeda militants in Yemen. That is according to local sources. The U.S. military say the claims are under investigation. Now, this goes into a little more detail than that Fox report does. I apologize it doesn't have the catchy underbeat, though. They did, however, confirm that a U.S. special operations soldier was killed in the raid on Sunday. It added that three more service personnel were wounded and that at least 14 suspected members of al-Qaeda were killed. So we are officially active in yet another country without any official declaration of war, uh. without any authorization by Congress. The military campaign in Yemen well, began no, no, in no, March. Wait. Remember, they authorized, you know, we go after al-Qaeda, remember, the That's war true. on terror. That's we, true. It's it, been authorized. Al-Qaeda everywhere. It's been authorized. Al-Qaeda everywhere all the time. It's been authorized. State of emergency. That's right, permanently. 2015, with a Saudi-led intervention to support the exiled president against an uprising by Houthi rebels. America has been supportive of the mission, which has seen accusations of civilians being targeted by the Saudi-led coalition. The conflicts also allowed al-Qaeda to expand significantly in Yemen. Although this is the first acknowledgement of a U.S. presence on the ground in the country, troops have been deployed abroad before without Congress approval. So obviously uh, this sort of reminds us a little bit of how we just eat, we send advisors. The next thing you know, we have a specialist in and pretty soon it's uh, the uh, Osama bin Laden Navy SEAL team going in there and uh, killing people and then they get, yeah. There was also a shooting up in Canada. Yep, in Quebec We want to get to that breaking news overnight, a deadly terror attack at a mosque in Quebec, Canada. At least two gunmen opening fire, now in custody. ABC's chief investigative correspondent, Brian Ross, is here with the latest on all of that. Good morning, Brian. Well, good morning, Amy. Authorities this morning say they do not yet know the motive of the terror attack on the mosque, but it came just after the Canadian prime minister said Canada would welcome all those fleeing persecution, regardless of their faith. The attack came during evening prayers last night at the Quebec City Islamic Cultural Center. Witnesses described at least two or three gunmen dressed in black who stormed the crowded holy place. We saw three men walk in. We shot at Allah and they opened fire. Emergency response crews found a scene of carnage. The uh, opportunity that uh, the, uh, the White House press secretary took trying to uh, trying to use this as an example for recent executive actions taken was was probably my highlight of this whole story. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for our brothers and sisters. No, and it is very, very, very tragic. And, you know, 
good to see that at least, you know, we got their back as much as they have ours. So that was our most Trump-free news we have. If that seemed like it was a little Trump-heavy, well, uh, buckle up, because we got just more coming. But first, let's take a breather and thank our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. That's right. You guys are awesome. You guys are. We have the overtime segment coming up later on in the show dedicated to you guys. We have different pledge levels you can get in at. Some of them are pretty sweet, like the Swag Club. Club 33. How many slots left in that? Some sucker? of them also get your access to our I think our we just clips. have like a couple spots left. Oh, I think it's sold out. Oh my gosh, we sold, sold out again. Sold out. It's sold out. All right. Well, the investor, the investor sec- uh, level is still open. So and, the, and you can, by the way, get on the wait list. Uh, oh know, yeah, that's yeah, nice. There, it does allow you to. You so somebody drops it. out. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. You get notified by email, which is. But really any nice. level you can support is anything is really really appreciated. patreoncom slash unfilter. Also, just for free, I'm trying to post the live version of the entire live version of the show. Nice. When it works out. Now, Mr. Chase, do yes, we Chris? have anything in the sack this Absolutely week? Absolutely, we do. Oh, Head over to Club 33. You know, hey, we don't have a bouncer at the door. You can come right on in if you're a Club 33 member. (laughs) (laughs) It's better than my screaming, I guess, and talking about my sack. Hey, you know, let's talk about Tom. Tom wrote in and says, hey, Chris and Chase. Uh, Oh, by the way, Chris, I I, I forgot to mention, you know, sometimes I ask the Club 33ers, you know, and give them a prompt and and see what they think. Yeah, sure. So I asked the Club 33ers uh, this past week. I said, hey, Trump nominated a new Supreme Court justice. What do you think of his pick? What say you? Or, over the weekend, Trump issued an executive order in regards to vetting visas and refugees from seven countries. What do you think? So, Or if you have something that you want to talk about, let me know. So Tom writes in and says, hey, Chris and Chase, I don't have a problem with Trump's executive order on immigration. It's fair to argue about its implementation and overall effectiveness. However, it's absolutely within the president's power to temporarily restrict immigration for national security reasons. This power has been utilized and upheld as far back as Carter and as recently as Obama. I do find it amusing that the mainstream media is trying to spin this as a Muslim ban. Uh, The executive order doesn't target the largest Muslim nations, nor does it include any reference to Islam. As usual, everything Trump does is spun in the most negative way possible. Since many of his critics view him as literally as Hitler, they have to go to extreme lengths to maintain their perception of reality. At the height of the hysteria, a startling number of people were pushing for completely open borders. I've seen some try to argue that immigration to the United States is a human right that cannot be denied to anyone. I find policies like these to be absurd. Every sovereign nation has the right to control who can and cannot enter its borders. Immigration is a privilege and not a right. All right. That's what Tom had to say. All right. We got some more. (laughs) It's Club 33. Um, We take care of these guys. I know. I'm wondering if maybe we should move this to before the overtime. Because sometimes what happens is these guys are talking about stuff that, that we we're about to about. talk about. So it's kind of almost spoiling the stuff that we're about to cover. You know what I mean? But we were going to cover it anyway. Yeah, I know. I know. But so like they're kind of like voicing sometimes that you're going to say stuff that we were going to say. Right. So like what's the point now of playing like the rest of the oh, show? Because people want to hear from us. Yeah, but but I'm just thinking like if we did this sort of like after the high note typically where the high note like so we do the high note and I then t- this part. I, I, I tell you what. We have a great ability through the Patreon system. To see what they think? To, that to should be the question. It, we should put it to a Democratic vote. That should be the thing. All right. Because I feel like, yeah, I feel like we kind of are muddying the, the rest of the, the content. No, that's a good thought. I, let's, let's, put it, let's put it to the people. Okay. What do you think? All right, all, right. all right. I'm good for it. All right. Continue. London Jurgens writes in and says, hey, I believe Trump's Supreme Court nomination is the reason many people voted for Trump. This, a justice is an orig- this justice is an originalist. 
generally skeptical of the government and the most Scalia-like of the bunch. It will be really shifting the balance on the court. So it'd be interesting to see how the Democrats will play this nomination. There are a handful of Democrat senators whose districts they won, but voted for Trump. This may be an indicator that the voters wanted Trump to make this pick over Clinton and puts pressure on Senate Democrats as they will be up for election in two years. There may be another nomination during Trump's presidency as well, so they may choose to pick their battles and really pull out the stops for the next potential nomination that Trump gets, as it may really impact the court. Schumer seems to have started the narrative of the nominee not being in the mainstream, but I'm not sure if this is really supposed to oppose or build a narrative for a possible second nomination. Judge Judy. (laughs) What are both of your thoughts on the nominee strategy and narrative building here? We'll talk about that coming up. Uh, Cops Rules says, hey, didn't he select the justice before the election? I heard to appease fellow Republicans. I'd like to hear what you guys think or have learned about the employee. And in other news, have you heard about this hostage situation at Delaware's James Vaughn prison? Five guards wow. held, one released. What? And it's been going on for seven hours now? Well, let's Okay, so let's do the judge thing now. Let's do, let's do it. Let's do it. So I don't mind. It's okay. Uh, I, uh, I guess I expected something more controversial i wonder if you set my pers- my expectations you know, like the needle uh, more in the red because um and he's already been approved yeah like it wasn't that controversial of no, a, of no. a process I, I i think that the pick is a very good pick of trump's uh this guy is not only a well-educated scholar but very well respected he received an an unanimous uh vote, vote uh when he was confirmed for the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, so this guy uh, calls it like it is. And I was actually reading an article uh, from a from a reporter talking about how this guy getting in could conceivably cause Trump to lose a lot of his executive orders because they may be ruled unconstitutional by this judge that he's actually nominating into the court because this guy is a stickler when it comes to the letter of the law. Uh, so it's actually I think it's a very good pick. I've heard from Democratic friends of mine who say like, no, don't give them. Don't no, No, we were going to say no, no matter what, because of what they did with Merrick Garland last year with uh, with Obama. Um, I think that's just a vicious cycle to get involved with. But I think all, overall, I think the, the pick is good unless there's a, a significant reason why I've heard. Well, I, I think of it in the context of who, who he's replacing. And I also think of it in, in, in the parameters of at least we don't have more gridlock. True. So uh, that's sort of my my thinking with it, and 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 I also I reserve the right to observe and change my opinion. <laughs> All right, <laughs> continuing on. Last message comes in from Chance Ferguson. Says, "Hey, answering the second question, I support the executive order. It's unfortunate that the order is keeping people from visiting family and interrupting international students returning to spring sp- semester, but that does not supersede the importance of national security." The United Nations publicly condemning the action feels like a hypocritical move from an out-of-touch organization. Admittedly, I don't have the full picture. I would love to hear oh. your analysis. I'm glad that the uh, we have an administration that takes our border secu- er, security seriously. While I'm offended that European leaders took this as an opportunity to pass harsh judgment on our nation and president, I'm glad to see that we are taking a stand against the open borders philosophy that har- that has harmed us Europeans time and time again. Oh, interesting. It seems that many people in the country feel that the USA has an obligation to the world to maintain open travel and immigration policies. I don't understand where this belief originates. Cultural philosophy, legal precedent, 
perhaps this could be a discussion point. Thank you for reporting on the unfiltered news. Best chance. I think a lot of the, uh, you know, uproar is just based on our country's history. You know, the Statue of Liberty, immigration. We were a land that let you come here and help grow and help build and have a new opportunity. And as terrorism and, and bad things have happened all around the world, you know, a lot of people are, are justifiably, I think, are getting scared that some really bad things could happen. Not to say that it justifies throwing down an executive order on a Friday without any planning whatsoever. And the way that it was implemented was very, very, very poor. I mean, I mean, people that are legal residents of this company, uh, company country, okay, were locked out to come in for a very long period of time when they already were vetted. I mean, green cards, to get a green card, you got to be so vetted, it's not even funny. Uh, it's just the way that it was handled and implemented showed a really piss poor planning on Trump's part. I mean, I know he says, I didn't want to announce it ahead of time to give to give these criminals a chance to come in. I, I know I'm paraphrasing. But at the same time, you could alert key people in your cabinet and in your departments and say, hey, we're going to be doing this. Be ready. But that didn't happen. And that just shows very poor professionalism and leadership, in my opinion. So I'll I'll keep my powder dry for the executive order stuff. When we get to that, I'll say this about the immigration thing. I, I don't... I don't I don't really have much to say other than historically this is something we screw up really bad constantly. I mean we historically are really bad about this. Not only yes we are a nation of immigrants and yes we consistently screw this up. Um <laughs> yeah. when when you have people like uh like Sundar Pichai or um Elon Musk coming out. It doesn't strike me uh, particularly well, especially when uh, Sindar Pichai of Google comes out. I don't like it when Google starts to get political. I don't like it when uh, Google takes a stance. I don't like Eric Schmidt's connection to Hillary Clinton and Obama. I don't like that whole thing. I think if any company in the tech industry should stay apolitical, it is Google based on the information they have on all of us and our preferences, our trends, our tendencies. I feel about Amazon doing getting involved too. I don't like it, but I don't have nearly the strong visceral reaction I do to Google. Got Google it. is a weapon of mass destruction and them aligning themselves with the Democrats is dangerous. Dangerous. And it makes me concerned as a consumer. So I don't like that at all. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to look into this because they've been doing a lot of shit over the last week that I think is concerning. But when it comes to immigration, I think we all need to take a 10,000 foot view, calm down a little bit and see where the next few years go. The only justification you have to be upset at this particular time with anything immigration-wise is if one of you, if you or one of your family members was somebody detained. And if you have not been directly affected yet, then we should all get a little more rational. So let's start with this entire topic because this is obviously where we need to go next. I'll open it up right now. I'm going into the category. This was the big news. I'm establishing new vetting measures to keep radical Islamic terrorists out of the United States of America. We don't want them here. We don't want them. So it's executive action that comes out with a big hoopla and almost, 
immediately afterwards, it starts getting very muddled, and this is really where travelers started to get screwed. A federal judge is putting a temporary stop to some of the most important parts of President Donald Trump's executive order banning citizens from seven Muslim-majority countries from entering the U.S. This after a federal judge in New York grants an emergency stay halting deportations of people with valid visas who were caught in the confusion of the president's immigration order. So, of course, this just puts officials in a very confusing spot because now they have an executive order saying they they have to be vetted. Then they have a judge saying they can't be returned. And so you end up with people getting detained, which is a very awful situation. Yes. And speaking of executive orders, President Trump's latest executive order yesterday to stop certain refugees from entering the United States has already taken effect. Refugees from seven Muslim-majority countries on their way to the United States are being turned away at foreign airports, and they are being detained if they're able to make it all the way to the United States. Here's the problem is this thing happened while people were in transit. People were in air. Seven countries, seven countries, seven countries. Here is the seven countries. Seven countries on his list. Libya, Sudan, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Yemen, and Somalia. So Syria... Iraq, Iran, Yemen, Sudan, Sudan, Somalia, and Libya. I, the one thing that bothered me about this is looking at this map. There's a lot of gaps, right? And I think there's a lot of countries in there that probably have some uh, terrorists. Would like, you think, say, maybe Saudi Arabia? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why were they not included on the yeah, list? Yeah, but you could actually. You know what's funny about this list, Chase? Because this doesn't seem like a list where terrorists come from. You know what list this reminds me of? What's that? The West Clark 7. It's down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense's office today, and he said... This was, by the way, a memo that was handed to him just a few weeks after 9-11. This is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. Now, uh, we have a, a slight exception because instead of Iran... Seven countries on his list. Libya, Sudan, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Yemen, and Somalia. Oh, that's, okay, Iran was on there. Uh, so this, this, this is pretty much almost exactly the West Clark 7. Oof. And it also happens to be places where we either are actively disrupting political parties or have military campaigns. Right. Or, or drone patrol even. Yeah. So it's where we're killing people. That's what this list is about. It's about blocking. It's not. They're not refugees. I mean, they, well, they're refugees. But when you say refugees, you picture something else. What we're really doing is we're taking action to block people that are coming from countries where we have active military campaigns. Mm. That's what it seems like to me. That's and it matches but, the West Clark Seven. Yeah. So that's where this is coming from. Now, here's where I have an issue. All right. I don't believe the federal. I don't like. I don't like any time the federal government has this kind of power where they detain people, they lock people up. I don't like them taking this step. What should have happened is people that were in transit should have either been processed or returned. Well, that's that's what I was saying earlier. I mean, now that, there, there was that no court order. Process. That court order sort of screwed up the returning them thing. But when the government starts to do this, where they detain people, they lock people up, they put them in handcuffs, that's going too far. Yeah, I, and I agree. I mean, and, and part of first off, you know, the power has always been with the president in regards to uh, immigration and, and protection of borders constitutionally. Uh, that being said, going back to what I said, there was no preparation. There was no thought process or 
a scenario a questioning where like what happens if you have this or what happens if you have someone in trans or what happens if you have someone who's been legally vetted and has a green card and is a legal resident of the United States. They couldn't people couldn't even come home. And and that's I have a major problem with that where uh, uh, any president matter Trump, I don't care who it is, who signs a piece of paper for a legal person that. They can't enter just because he decided oh, I, I'm going to I'm going to do this right now. It's like it wasn't thought out. It wasn't put through any ringers or checks at all. And it really that really bugs, really bugs. Is it could happen? Any he could sign an order tomorrow saying uh, X, and you know it's like I feel like it. I feel like it represents carelessness. Yeah. Um, so the, there's been this there's been this there's been this skewing though because it's been called the Muslim ban right it's yeah. been with exceptions for Christians so uh, CNN has a reality check segment now which used to be Ben Swan's thing but then he did a reality check on PizzaGate well, and he hasn't been on the air since well you then. know why you know why right what you don't know Ben Swan was fired no Ben Swan tried to do a uh, a Kickstarter or something like that to to raise money to do more investigations into this Pizzagate thing and yeah. he got a little trouble in that and he took the Kickstarter down. It was, maybe it was an Indiegogo or something. I gotta but, look into this. Oh, you, yeah, you need to look Jeez, into this. Well, now look at this. Now CNN has a segment called Reality Check yeah, and it's with the guy that told you that it's illegal to read WikiLeaks. This is who hosts the oh, Reality Check. Oh, this guy? President Trump's executive order on refugees and foreign travelers has sparked a lot of emotional reaction. But let's take a step back and break down the facts, not just deal with phobias. The order suspends the refugee program for 120 days, okay? It caps refugee admissions at 50,000 a year. That will be a major drop from the almost 85,000 refugees who entered the U.S. in 2016. It also cuts the Obama administration's ceiling of 110,000 a year in half. President Trump's executive order also bars citizens from seven Muslim-majority countries from entering America for 90 days, three months. Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen. In 2015, about 84,000 people from these countries entered the U.S., mostly on tourist, business, and student visas. The majority traveling from Iran and Iraq. All right, let's look specifically at Syrian refugees. President Trump went a step further there. There's an indefinite ban on anyone fleeing persecution oh. in Syria. Last year, the U.S. accepted around 12,600 Syrians. This is not a huge, these are not huge numbers. These are not no. ginormous, no, ginormous not. numbers, but it's, yeah. Uh, all right, so a little bit more on this. A group of Democratic attorneys general is condemning the president's immigration and travel crackdown. The AGs from 15 states and Washington, D.C. promised to, quote, use all of the tools of our offices. All of the tools, Chase. All of them. To fight this unconstitutional order and preserve our nation's national security and core values. New York State Attorney General Eric Schneiderman is one of those vowing to fight. Good morning. Morning. Do you believe this will ultimately reach the Supreme Court? Uh, probably some portions of it, but as we were, pretty, as, sta- as my colleagues and I stated, we are. Is he baked? I think he's baked. <laughs> All or he's tired. He had to get a portions early. of this executive order are unconstitutional and ultimately will be struck down. We are very concerned about people who will be hurt between now and that ultimate ruling. What? All right, so there's there's the possibility of a fight going all the way to the Supreme well, Court. Th- well, I mean, state of Washington's already filed their lawsuit, and the uh, this didn't last long. But the acting attorney general issued an order to the DOJ lawyer saying, "Don't defend this." 
So the breaking news tonight is from the Justice Department, where the acting attorney general, Sally Yates, because we don't have uh, sessions in place yet, has said that she will we. not defend. You notice how she said we? President yeah. Trump's executive order banning immigrants from a handful of countries known to provide safe havens to terrorists. Well, she sees Here now is Tucker as Carlson, host of Tucker Carlson Tonight. So uh, the attorney general issues an order to uh, to uh, the lawyers of the DOJ saying, do not defend the ban. And then and then what happened to her, Chris? Yeah, we have breaking news tonight. The acting <laughs> attorney general of the United States, Sally Yates, who is a holdover from the Obama administration, a former prosecutor from Georgia, was fired tonight by the president of the United States. And we want to read a statement here. This is from the White House and it's just come out. The acting attorney general, Sally Yates, has betrayed the Department of Justice oh. by refusing to enforce a legal order designed to protect the citizens of the United States. Ms. Yates is an Obama administration appointee who is weak on borders and very weak phone. on illegal immigration. Well, it was just released, She's going to be uh, replaced by a new acting attorney general. Now, to, to be fair about uh, Yates, she, when he, during her confirmation hearing, I don't know if you uh, knew about this or not, but she said that you know she would not blindly support the president, and at the time this was Obama. That she would not blindly support Obama uh, on anything. Like, you know, she would analyze the law and would make a decision whether or not to proceed. She did the same thing here. Now, I don't know if it was wise of her to do it in a public sense. Uh, she could have just held on for a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, Senator Lee asked you about this tax. Oh, you got the, this. the irony is that it's Sessions asking her about it. That's, that, the, oh, the, that's the real irony. That's why'd you have this situation where oh, the president. I think I heard him say uh, just decides that the 35 percent tax rate's too high. He's going to say we're not going to collect them more than uh, 25 percent. And you said after pressed a little bit doesn't sound like something I'd agree with. Uh, I'd say that shouldn't take you too long to say, no, this isn't right. Well, I agree, Senator. I think what I was telling you was that that was certainly my gut reaction to it. But if I'm going to be doing battle with anybody, I want to make sure I have the law and the facts and the um, and the precedent behind me to be able to give a reasoned judgment. And if I'm in a discussion where people have different views, I want to make sure I've got what I need to back up my views. Well, um, you have to watch out because people will be asking you to do things you need, just need to say no about. Do you think the attorney general has a responsibility to say no to the president uh, if he asks for something that's improper? A lot of people have defended the Lynch nomination, for example, by saying, well, he appoints somebody who's going to execute his views. What's wrong with that? But if the views the president wants to execute are unlawful, should the attorney general or the deputy attorney general say no? Uh, Senator, I believe that the attorney general or the deputy attorney general has an obligation to follow the law and the Constitution and to give their independent legal advice to the president. Now, she did say advice to the president, and she directed the lawyers not to enforce the law. So, right. Well, that's what we've heard in public. 
I'm, I mean, I'm wondering if she crossed the line with that last part. Possibly. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, but yeah, I thought that was that was interesting. That it was Sessions yeah. asking her that back in 2015. Would you be willing to go up against it? And, yeah. <laughs> and you're not going to rubber stamp whatever the president says. Yeah, does, yeah. Right. So she's fired. She's fired, and uh, Sessions has been approved. Uh, so there's that. We're going to be listening to that guy for for a while longer. That's right. That was so. That whole AG thing was interesting. What what made me go holy shit this week was when it came out that uh, like a whole layer of the State Department has been fired. Oh, yeah. But as we wait, a little breaking news now. First here on CNN out of the State Department. Two senior administration officials saying the four top State Department manager officials were all fired by the Trump administration as part of an effort to what sources called an effort to clean house at the State Department. Let's get to Elise Lavitt, our diplomatic correspondent. Elise, explain what happened here. Well, John, you know, as typical with any transition, uh, all top officials, the heads of all these agencies um, and bureaus are asked to submit resignations. Well, we understand all of those top officials in the management departments of the State Department. We're talking the undersecretary of management, the long-serving Pat Kennedy, um, the assistant secretaries of consular affairs, administration, and the office, the director of the Office of Foreign Missions. That's embassies here in the United States by uh, international countries. Um, were all uh, those ex- resignations were accepted. They were sent letters by the White House this week that their service was no longer Required And officials are telling me it's very common when these resignations are submitted. These officials are, you know, asked to stay on a few months until their replacements are confirmed. We're talking about 150 years of combined institutional knowledge by all of these officials. And, John, it's really leaving a gaping hole in the State Department's management structure. I wonder if it's everybody who was uh, the uh, let's got it. We got a top of Assad team. Mm, maybe. Maybe. Seems like a cleaning of house. Right, but it's very unusual to do the, uh, the cleaning of a house before you have people in place. I mean, typically they stay on for a few months, the new people come in I place. I think that's what they, makes it brilliant, though, is because it forces the process. Yeah. For, you know, you get, people, you get people approved, you get people hired a lot faster that way. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so this was, the, this was the bit of news that uh, this is where I think we begin to dig into what might be the most interesting topic this week. The real story, I think, is Bannon. I think Trump's advisor, uh, Steve Bannon, is the is the big topic this week, and uh, I want to cover some of the news around him. Steve Bannon is the White House chief strategist, but even that title may not do justice to his influence in the West Wing. He's driving decisions on every piece of President Trump's agenda, domestic and foreign, including the president's immigration order and travel ban that sparked a global backlash. Now, where do they know that? How do they know that? How do they know that Steve Bannon was the one behind the uh, the ban? That I don't know. So what I've I've been looking into this. There is a Twitter account out there that's like a uh, like a POTUS leaks account, and uh, it's been tweeting out things about Bannon, and it's been it's it's per, it's positioning itself as an insider in the White House. And um, there's been a lot of news I think has been written from this Twitter feed and. I got to tell you, man. Having looked at every single tweet and looked into a lot of it, it's horseshit. It's somebody fucking around with people, and <laughs> I think a lot of this stuff about about who's behind what right now. Like one of the other things that had people really upset this week is uh, everybody was expecting Donald Trump to announce an executive order to roll back uh, uh, gay marriage rights for federal employees, and he didn't. That rumor started on this Twitter account. Oh. 
I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, and then, the, and then what happens is it's like what happens with all these stories. The Washington Post or Everybody another outlet could, writes yeah, it, and then they yeah. cite the Washington Post or whoever else it is, and it spreads from there. So I, I, if anybody could find any evidence that's legit that Steve Bannon was one of the chief advocates behind the uh, travel ban, I I would love to see that because I've tried to find it and I can't. But it doesn't mean it's not out. I there. mean, he hasn't said in the past that you know. Well, he's, he's made statements that would, you could you could you could suss out from his statements, perhaps. Okay. We'll, we'll get into some of this. As right. to his influence in the West Wing, he's driving decisions on every piece of President Trump's agenda. Now, how do they know that? That is a direct statement that CNN is making. Right. What is he advi- He mean is he advising Trump? Yes. So are a lot of other people. Yeah. So you could say that about anybody, domestic and foreign including the president's immigration order and travel ban that sparked a global backlash. So it's likely that Bannon had a voice in that discussion. And that's essentially what they're saying, but they're framing it in a way to make it sound like Bannon was the architect of it. Right. But it's his elevation to a permanent spot on the National Security Council that is now outraging even many Republicans. Now, this is an interesting development. And I don't want to come across like I'm a Steve Bannon defendant because he seems like he's probably a disgusting individual. But the, but the thing is, though, it's I thought it's not an automatic thing. I thought he has to go through a confirmation since he's a civilian and he's not any uh, pre-cleared class. That could be the I think. Listen to the report. You'll see what they're concerned about is the appointing of Bannon and the removal of others who question why he has a seat alongside the secretary of state and defense secretary in the inner sanctum of national security. The president said in a weekend memo, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the director of national intelligence will no longer have a standing seat on the group known as the Principles Committee. So this is how it's being positioned. They take DNI off, they take military experts off, and they put Bannon on. Former Defense Secretary Robert Gates, who has served eight presidents, said it was an unprecedented move. I think uh, pushing them out of the National Security Council meetings, except when their specific uh, issues are at stake, is a big mistake. I- now, it, it, it actually doesn't. It's it, it's the exact same language that President Obama used in, in the way it's structured is essentially it sounds like to me they're they don't have to attend it if they don't want to. Right. I think that they both bring a perspective and and judgment and experience to bear that. Every president, whether they like it or not, finds useful. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer brushed aside criticism as utter nonsense. He drew a comparison to David Axelrod, a senior advisor to President Obama, who attended some national security meetings. Yet Axelrod never had a permanent seat on the council. No, he just went unofficially. And when they say some, they don't know. They don't know because it wasn't documented. He just went. This administration is trying to make sure that we don't hide things, uh, wait for them to count after the fact. Uh, so it, it recognizes the role that he's going to play. But Steve's not going to be in every meeting. Like, like Axelrod, he'll come in and out. Bannon is unfazed by the controversy. In fact, a person close to him tells CNN he thrives on it. Bannon sees his role as disrupting the establishment, Republicans included and putting his ideological imprint on Trump's presidency. Now I want to go to one of our Breitbart uh, posse. uh, He calls himself a nationalist who says Trump could create a new populist movement. This whole uh, movement is really the top first inning. He joined Trump's team last August, taking leave from leading the conservative Breitbart News website. At 62, he has one of the loudest voices in the White House, who is rarely heard or seen outside. 
except now at the president's side. He's a formal naval officer, Goldman Sachs investment banker, and Hollywood movie producer. It would seem to me that it would actually make sense that one of the top advisors would be on this panel to the president, especially if the president has horrible ADD and can't read reports properly. You need someone else to pay attention for you. It's possible. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of things unusual about this. One, you, you have the elevation uh, of, of what's essentially a political advisor, Steve Bannon, to, to a regular uh, permanent seat, as it were, on these National Security Council meetings, but also then taking away that regular seat from the director of national intelligence, uh, as well as the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the commander, really, of all U.S. military forces. Uh, one additional thing that's unusual about that, and keep in mind, is that your DNI, your director of national intelligence, and your defense uh, rather, your chairman of the Joint Chiefs, those are both Senate-confirmed positions. Uh, the White House strategist, that's the title of Steve Bannon, not Senate-confirmed. So you, you, you had additional voices piping in on uh, who these uh, seats at the table would be. You it's interesting. I think that's a very valid point. That was the same issue I had with Axelrod going in. And I want to talk about the media's now uh, framing. Inagogo, I think, just did in the chat room a few minutes ago. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Rope in there says Bannon is chaotic, evil. Uh, you can go through the history of the chat room right now. Uh, here we go. Iamacon says replacing him in meetings isn't the issue. Replacing qualified people is what's worrying. All of these, uh, these people have no idea what they're talking about. None <laughs> of these people have any idea. We have no idea. These people, these people may or may not be going to these meetings. Perhaps now they will only go when they need to. Right. How, this this sort of hyper freak out we are doing over every little thing. And, and, by, and bear in mind, they're not doing this behind closed doors. They're not doing it like Obama did it. They're actually putting it on paper and doing it in the public eye in front of everyone. They're not even trying to hide it. No, and we're just, freaking the shit out. Meanwhile, Axelrod gets to go in and out like anytime and he no pleases. One says anything. Nothing's on record. And that's that's a problem, especially when you when it's the guy that uh, had some email issues. So I have a little bacon. Mm. Yep, that's definitely from Bellingham. And it's, it's, it's disappointing because you can see it's it's really it's really sinking in. People are really falling for this one. This is phase one of building a narrative foundation that Trump is an incompetent president. This is the same exact thing they did to George W. Bush. They the media likes to have these split ideas about Bush and split ideas about Trump. The ideas are like this: he's a bumbling buffoon, a sock puppet. He doesn't pay attention. He doesn't know what he's doing. He just does what he's told. And guys like Bannon are running roughshod. But let me hold on. Okay, let me, right, let me right, reframe right. it. Okay. George W. Bush. He's a bumbling buffoon. He doesn't know what he's doing. Guys like Dick Cheney run roughshod over him, and Carl Rove run over him. They just have him signing executive orders. They just have him doing what he's told. Rumsfeld is the one that's running the military, and he just has Bush sign off on whatever he wants. It was the same thing. And then, at the same time, they are like these next-level, third-level 3D chess masters who can manipulate the media, the world, win the presidency, have these vast right-wing conspiracies to take over the government, to make America first, and they just can't accept that the two realities are in total conflict with each other. They are, they, he... He cannot be a bumbling buffoon that is a total sock puppet right. and yeah. the master businessman who has manipulated his way to the presidency with help from Vladimir Putin. He cannot be one or the other. He must be somewhere in between. Yet this narrative that they are now building is starting with Bannon is running the show. 
Bannon is running the show just like Cheney was, just like Rove was. It's the same. It's the same script they used for Bush Jr. They're just doing it to Trump all over again. But did Bush ever sign weird executive orders? Yeah, man, they all do. Every president. Where where was the outcry about the unlimited access that Valerie Jarrett got in Obama's White House? That woman wasn't elected to office. She got total confidential access to NSA programs. She had access to our military operations, the raid on Osama bin Laden. This woman had access to the highest levels of government information, never voted into office. Zero outcry from the media. Zero? Wow. When have you ever, when have you ever heard well, anything just, like what they just well, did? Well, just because I don't remember doesn't mean it didn't happen. They never. So I just, well, I, they, I, are, they do this, and I, 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 would, I would be – I am totally fine with, uh, with the media that goes after Trump. Go for it. Go after him. Just be but consistent. This, this double standard yeah. where they pretend like this has never happened before. It's simply they just didn't report on Valerie Jarrett and, and Carl Rove had extreme – now, Carl Rove didn't go to these meetings, and Valerie Jarrett didn't go to these meetings. But Axelrod did, and they all – Carl Rove – and Valerie Jarrett had unprecedented access in the White House. This, in one administration, is made into a huge issue, and in another administration, it's not talked about. And we all fall for it. Well, now Bannon's the big evil. He's the new Dick Cheney. He's a white supremacist. He's the leader of the alt-right. He was just a website owner. Now, all of a sudden, he's advising Trump on policy. What's going on? This is scary. Words like scary. People are actually scared. People are so scared by this. It's unbelievable. It doesn't even affect their daily life. And people are using words like, this scares me. I think it's, it's because... Like they they were easily more easily to see what his background is and what he thinks and what he believes. Why not Dick Cheney? Well, okay, he's Dick Cheney 2.0. Let's go with that. And now all of a sudden we're just reusing that, though. Yeah, absolutely. But here's the thing, Chase. Why not look into the background of Valerie Jarrett? Why not look into the background of all? I agree. I think it all should be treated equally. Exactly. Absolutely. So is so. I but what happens is we have these two extremes, and then I, I I get frustrated because while Bannon seems like he's probably an off, just like Putin, it's the same thing like they do to Russia. Like here I end up sounding like some sort of Putin defender when I'm talking about how Russia didn't hack the election. And it's just simply the other side is the other side of this argument is so preposterous and vocal that when you just try to even say, well, hold on, everybody, take a second. He's an advisor. It makes a lot of sense that to have if you have somebody on your staff who has who was in the Navy and has followed world events as part of his career now for more than a decade for, for for his entire adult life. It would kind of make sense that if you have trust and faith in this person, which Trump apparently does, which tells you about the kind of people he picks, then you would want them to go in there. You would want them to sit down and come back to you with what they find, and that would make sense that they would make them a permanent access and, and, member. And, 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 I, and I think that's where it gets kind of interesting to see is, is he going in there just to uh, you know regurgitate what is going on back to Trump, or is he going in there trying to push his own agenda sure. and his thing? That's and what it, they'd have you believe, right? Yeah. And I, I I just simply don't see the proof of it yet. It seems to me that we are jumping to a conclusion. It's possible, and and meanwhile. What we're doing is we're building out this narrative that Bannon is the Darth Vader, he's the Dick Cheney, and Trump is the sock puppet. Bannon is bad. President Bannon. I, the New York Times ran a headline, President Bannon. I mean, I have link. I have a ton of links this week in the show notes, a ton of links about President Bannon this, President Bannon this. <laughs> oh, man. 
Now we're going to take a closer look at the man who may be President Trump's most influential advisor. His name is Steve Bannon. He's the force behind many of Trump's early moves, a member of the National Security Council. And he's in the spotlight now as controversial comments he made on his Breitbart radio show are resurfacing. ABC's chief national correspondent Tom Yam is here with the details. And Tom, there are hours of tape where Bannon calls Muslim immigrants a threat and says the U.S. engaged in a global existential war. I, I would say that, see, this is what's crazy. And I'm not saying, again, Bannon is a good person, but the quotes that the media chooses to use don't seem that out of don't seem that out of step. He said that we are in a global war uh, against terrorism. Right. That is what we are doing. Right or wrong, it's what we are doing. As controversial comments he made on his Breitbart radio show are resurfacing. ABC's chief national correspondent Tom Yam is here with the details. And Tom, there are hours of tape where Bannon calls Muslim immigrants a threat and says the U.S. engaged in a global existential war. There are hours and hours. That's right, George. Good morning. Hours and hours. President Bush had Karl Rove. President Obama had David Axelrod. And President Trump has Stephen Bannon. Bannon, one of the advisors that helped President Trump with that executive order on the travel ban. They're still not mentoring Valerie Jarrett. They still don't mention her. Hmm. A man who just months ago was running a website, now one of the most powerful people in the White House. A man who is just running a website. So they will ha- they're doing it with Bannon, too. He's either a super genius or he's just a website guy. The, and the bias uh, yeah. in, in, in their reporting is sickening. Months ago was running a website. <laughs> like a website? Like it's beneath them. See, and, and, and that's where, you know, we'd ha- have to rewind back, what, six, seven years just to see what the media were saying at the time Valerie Jarrett was going through the White House and stuff like that. I, I don't I think there was don't, any coverage of it. I don't think there was any coverage of it. I'll tell you, you know, you see so little. You, you know, you honestly see more coverage of the people around Hillary. You, you, see, you see much more about, you know, oh, yeah, what's, like Uma what's going and, on yeah. with Uma and Podesta. You hear a lot more stuff about that. You don't hear a lot about Jarrett. With that executive order on the travel ban, a man who just months ago was running a website, now one of the most powerful people in the White House. As President Trump pushes forward with his plan to change the country, the spotlight is growing on one of his most influential and controversial advisors, Stephen Bannon. Recently, in an unprecedented move, President Trump named Bannon to the National Security Council, adding a political strategist to the team in charge of keeping the country safe. He's got a tremendous understanding of the world and the geopolitical landscape that we have now. Bannon is one of the most mysterious players in the president's inner circle. He's usually seen wearing a field jacket, a bit rumpled, and almost never does interviews. But when he does, they're mostly with pro-Trump reporters. We need to have a fight in the Republican Party for the soul of the conservative I agree movement. with you. For years, Bannon, who ran the alt-right news site Breitbart... Just, just call it an alt-right news site. Just going to... All right. Kind of slide that in there. Called for a GOP revolution. In Trump, he found his revolutionary. That all actually seems accurate to me so far. Okay. okay. On his radio show, Bannon shared a worldview that mirrors what President Trump said on the campaign trail and now in office. To be brutally frank, I mean, Christianity is dying in Europe and Islam's on the rise. Here's Bannon talking about Muslim immigrants in Europe. These are not Jeffersonian Democrats. These are not people with thousands of years of understanding democracy in their DNA coming up here. Is it politically correct? No. But is it accurate? Probably to a degree. I mean, he's talking about people with certain cultural backgrounds. Right. I mean, it's probably true to a degree. Yeah. 
USA Today reporter Steve Riley reviewed dozens of hours of Bannon on the radio. It's apparent that he views the world as in some type of uh, civilizational conflict. I wonder why. Maybe he took a look at how many military bases we have. Watch how nervous this guy seems to be in this interview. In which uh, the Judeo-Christian West and uh, other forces are competing for resources. Bannon, a former naval officer, made a fortune at Goldman Sachs and as an investor in the Seinfeld franchise. On his show, he called himself the patron saint of commoners. At Breitbart, Bannon's critics said the site was fueled by racism, sexism, and anti-Semitism. I I hope that if they're ever covering me, they don't go to my critics for a quote. (laughs) Publishing headlines like... Hoist it high and proud. The Confederate flag proclaims a glorious heritage. Birth control makes women unattractive and crazy. And this one, calling conservative analyst Bill Kristol a, quote, renegade Jew. Or or quite possibly that these headlines are just clickbait. Yeah. Yeah, and, contribu- and submitted by contributed I writers. They're not the, written by Bannon. Yeah, but what's the content of the article? Some, I mean, sometimes, specifically, titles are written to get you to click on it, and then after you read it, you're like, yeah. that has nothing to do with yeah, what Look at the title. son of a bitch that runs Media Matters. I mean, they do the same thing. I mean, yeah. look what, and you just look at companies like BuzzFeed. That not, just do not, it. Not, not saying that I, I agree with some of his views. I'm just pointing it out to everybody yeah. that, you know, titles can be formed. Don't believe the mainstream media. Don't believe the establishment. Do not believe the permanent political class. We are on the right side of history. Now, Bannon is also playing the role of bulldog for the president. All right, so that's ABC's coverage. We'll just move on quickly. I just, I'm trying to, uh, you know, I guess point, paint the picture here that uh, they really seem to be going after Bannon. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't, I guess, I don't, I don't really want to defend Bannon anymore. Uh, but no, I, I, no, I think everybody hears what you're trying to say here is that, you know, if you're going to go after Bannon, if in eight years or four years we have a Democratic president again and the same things occur— we should see the same things from our media because we need to play this fair. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's yeah. probably true. Yeah. Uh let's see, do I have uh we have ABC, do we also have uh yeah, we have point. This is a there is a there is a CNN report that is that's pretty intense about Bannon too. We could here, I'll play a little bit of it for you. This is this is like in reference to that uh, headline I was telling you about. The New York Times editorial page today says Bannon has positioned himself as quote the de facto president. Again, this is incredible positioning. This really feels like narrative foundational building here. And, quote, we've never witnessed a political aide do quite so much damage so quickly to his putative boss's popular standing or pretenses of competence. Analysts say Bannon's made a huge impact early in the administration, getting himself a full seat on the National Security Council, leveraging the relationship he cultivated as the CEO of Mr. Trump's presidential campaign. Bannon has been able to be the most influential Trump advisor in the first two weeks of this White House. Says this guy from The New Yorker. I mean, OK. Um, partly because um, he's, he's, he's got the president's ear and he operates as this sort of free floating advisor without the entanglements of other aides. The 63-year-old former banker also headed the far right Breitbart News website. Same thing, right? They do the yeah. same. It's almost the same script, really. One's ABC, one's CNN. Well, they, 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 they say far right. The other one yeah, says all they right. Did. You're yeah, right. Yeah. You're right about that. Yeah. yeah. I, I will say this. Chris, let's say you're the president of the United States. Wouldn't you want the the uh your advisors to to give you input and you know do research yeah and, you know, i would i would think it's, if if i have steve if i am trump and i have steve bannon on my staff because 
he has a particular understanding of world events that I think is useful. Let's just <laughs> let's just go with that, though. Yeah, That's what yeah, we're. Yeah. Then it would seem that it would make sense to have him on the National Security Council to keep me in touch. Essentially, what and I then think make is a is, public announcement to let everybody know that you're doing what you're doing. The type of stuff that maybe a past president might have held himself personally responsible for understanding, Trump outsources to the people around him. Um. Like uh, I'll give you an example of why I say this. I'm going to play a clip for you here in a moment of Trump signing an executive order and you tell me. But my impression when I watch it, it's literally the first time he's ever even seen these words. I, when, I, when I watch this, to me, I see a man who is reading something for the very first time. And so I think he essentially has put people around him that – of course, this is my bias coming through because this is always what I thought he would do. But it seems to be he's assembled a team around him that he quote-unquote trusts. And so he needs those people in there. I, I think it might be very accurate because, I mean, it goes back to, like you said, the attention span where, you know, he, you know, he's creating this hive mind, giving him all these suggestions and things. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to go with it. And it also feels like we're busting through a checklist. There's yeah. that there's that aspect of it, too. So let's go to this next item on that checklist. The wall, Chase. The wall. His signature slogan becoming one of his supporters favorite phrases. Build that wall. Build that Donald Trump's set to start immediate construction of a border wall today. The president signing executive orders to direct money to start construction of his border wall with Mexico. The wall, the wall. Everyone loves it. Everyone loves the wall. He almost exposes the reason he does things right there when he kind of talks like that. Everyone loves the wall, so I better do it. I better do it. I better do it because yeah. everybody's been convinced of it. Uh, so let's see. Is this the uh, – oh, somewhere I hmm, – maybe it's in the uh, – oh, I bet you it's in the overtime folder. I have the footage. I wish I had it handy. I have the footage of Trump signing that wall executive order, and uh, you watch it to me. It, it seems like he's never even seen it. I'll have to leave it to you, though, like uh, – well, you'll have to see if you can find it in the supporters thing because it's – he picks it up. He picks up the executive order and he reads the words almost like he has not – he's not familiar with them. And then, he, and then he puts it down and goes, well, we all know what that means. This is for the border or something like that. He just says it in a way, Chase, that I watch and I go, God, this guy, he had not even seen this yet. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm no, wrong. No, right now he is on a, uh, a blitz of just – Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, boom. And I think you're absolutely yeah. right. But at the same time, I think – some of the media is feeding into it because I, I saw on I believe it was CNN where they they have a running website that is keeping track of his promises. Oh, really? And when things are like, oh, there's, I should a, find that. there's a status bar of like how much <laughs> yeah. it's been completed Jeez. of him fulfilling that promise. Did they have that for Obama? I don't remember that. Hmm. So uh, this is a great press conference because just watch how super casual Paul Ryan is about the cost of the wall. Just, you know, As you know, the president has demanded that Mexico uh, pay for the for the wall. Uh, the pre- Mexican president said that it will, they will not pay for the wall. And Donald Trump just said that the Mexican president should cancel the upcoming meeting if Mexico does not agree to pay for the wall. Do you think the president should tone it down to salvage his relationship <laughs> with Mexico? Yeah, I, I don't have any advice to, uh, to give to the president about that good issue. Boy. We are moving ahead. What a good boy. pointed out to our group yesterday. Now, so this is uh, Senator Mitch McConnell talking next to uh, – sitting next to him is Paul Ryan who's talking to. Now, this is, this, is, this is the majority leader. This is the guy who's in charge there. And he – this is a really big deal, this wall for them. 
And he's a little fuzzy on the details. They had a meeting yesterday. He's a little fuzzy this on the is details. Not the Republican retreat. They just had done, got done drinking a pina we just, colada. We're just talking about. It. So he has yeah. to like. He has to like. You know, and it's not like these are small little details. Like these yeah. numbers are big numbers. You think they'd stick out in your memory, but not for Mitch. Mitch can't remember. You pointed out to our group yesterday with um, what the border supplemental. Yeah, of yeah. a roughly. Uh, Twelve to fifteen. Yeah, twelve to fifteen billion dollars. So we, you know, just twelve to fifteen billion dollars. Just you know, yeah. Meanwhile, we have social security issues. Watch the show. Yeah, you know, twelve to fifteen. To, uh, to give to the watch president about time. that one issue, time. we are moving ahead. Uh huh. Yeah. As the speaker pointed out to our group yeah. yesterday, yeah. with um, what the border supplemental. Yeah, of a yeah. roughly. Uh, and Paul Ryan's like, you, you really don't... I, uh. 12 to 15. Yeah, 12 to 15 billion dollars. So we intend to address the... Yeah, yeah, yeah you know. Yeah, no yeah, big deal. 12, no big deal. Yeah. So how, how are you going to get that 12 to 15 billion dollars? How are you going to do that? I think when you look at the, the plan that's, that's taking shape now, using comprehensive tax reform uh, as a means to tax uh, imports from countries that we have a trade deficit from, like Mexico, we have a, if you tax that 50%, 50 billion dollars at... 20% of imports, which is, by the way, a practice that 160 other countries do. Right now, our, our country's policy is to tax exports and let imports flow freely in, which is ridiculous. Uh, but by doing it that way, we can do $10 billion a year and easily pay for the wall. Now they're walking that back. They're walking that back. But that's, oh, yeah, I think that's that their threat. Trade war, yeah. that's, the, that's a threat. It's a, it's, a, it's a threat. So it's track-trump.com. Thank you, JB Live, now for is logging th- in. Is th- now, th- this is not the one I saw because— Oh, really? I, yeah. Who, I don't know who the source is on this one, oh. who's doing it. This isn't the uh, one you were thinking of, huh? No, no. The, I mean, there. I guess there's a lot of tracking. Probably. Trumps, yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Uh, so this—I don't have a lot— I don't have a lot to add on this wall discussion because I, I, well, I probably we, we, shouldn't we red made, book this. Well, but we, didn't we make a red book last week? That is, is it going to get built or something? Like yeah, that? that's how yeah. I feel. But yeah. I, the news happened. I wanted to cover it. Fair enough. I, there is so much going on that what I decided to do is there's, we're going to do a lot more uh, in the overtime. So stay tuned. We have more stuff coming up. But I just I think we probably hit it hard enough for a little bit. So let's let's. Bring it up a notch. All right. With a high note before we get out of here. Let's end it on that. And uh, this one's good for folks in Maine. And, you know, Rekai, editor Rekai, will be going back to Maine soon. I wonder if he'll take advantage of this. Oh, really? Recreational marijuana is now legal in Maine. 22 News reporter Mike Mascadrelli is live at our Franklin County Bureau to tell us how they plan to regulate it there. Maine joins seven other states, including Massachusetts, where recreational pot is legal. Beginning today, adults 21 and over can legally smoke, possess, and even gift up to two and a half ounces of marijuana. Adults can also have six flowering marijuana plants and 12 non-flowering plants. Maine voters narrowly passed the ballot question in November, with just 50.3 percent of voters saying yes to legal recreational marijuana. A recount confirmed those results late last month. It might surprise me more about Maine. It doesn't really surprise me here. I'm a grad student at UMass Amherst, and a lot of undergrads and grad students there obviously wanted to pass, but just because, you know, freedom of choice. Just like Massachusetts, marijuana cannot be sold at retail stores in Maine just yet. Pot stores won't be able to open in Maine until February 2018 to give state leaders more time to determine how to regulate the industry. No pot stores will open in Massachusetts until July of 2018. Live from the Franklin County Bureau in Greenfield, Mike Mascadrelli, 22 News. There you so, go. So every state that has legalized marijuana uh, allows growing except for one. That is Washington State. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're medical. 
fair enough. Yeah, but, but I wonder how long that'll last. Yeah, yeah. Then there's, uh, this is something that uh, you probably should have uh, signed up for. I mean, even if you weren't going to take advantage of it, the okay. resale value would have been nuts. Uh New this morning, a marijuana giveaway meant to help one person grow into something a whole lot more. Parker Collins is live near Hacienda. And- I, uh, by the way, um, apologize. Their levels are a little screwed up in this clip. So uh, this <laughs> That's uh, Vegas for you. Yeah, this is, yeah. Valley View to explain how more people are being helped for free. Well, it started when Evergreen Organics put an ad in this magazine, a simple ad saying, if you could use some free marijuana, let us know, and you might be the winner of this giveaway. Well, in the end, as as you can imagine, they couldn't just pick one. They had to pick several from across the state. These are people dealing with pain, PTSD, people who were recovering from cancer. They had a lot of very touching stories. That is why they couldn't pick just one. And what they're getting is a concentrated oil of cannabis. It's very expensive and very powerful. That's what I'm saying, Chase. The relief I have and I shut down to the world. This stuff opened me up again like it's it's amazing. I don't know where I would be. I don't know where I would be. You know, because of this, I'm, I have a great relationship with my family now. Um, Let's give them a big hug, shall we? That's, that's a pretty neat thing. Yeah, so they gave away the oil, which is uh, really great for medical patients. Wow. Marijuana giveaway. Jeez. You don't have that in Washington either. No, well, it's Vegas, so, you know, it's just walking down the strip and get free marijuana, right? <laughs> they do that there? I think so. Kind of no flyers. <laughs> Here you go. Here. <laughs> hey, if you guys want to check out some of the stories that people are filtering through out the week, head over to unfilter.reddit.com. Oh! There on that website, you can upvote stories that could potentially make it into the show. And also, you can provide feedback to others about the content that they're submitting. Yeah, and we love getting your thoughts on the stories that come in or leaving a comment on the thread that will be created for episode 224. Uh, You know, I got to say, if you are up for it, stick around. We do have a lot more coming. If you're leaving now, though, a couple little bits of deets we want to leave you with. Number one, the show's live on Wednesdays. Go to jblive.tv to watch it. We love having you in that live chat room. We feature it right there on our screen. Fact. And you can get it converted to your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Yes, Chris. Now. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to ask you, you know, you, you just did a little piece with me with your vlog. That's true. That's Where true. can people find that vlog? Why not? Catch it at youtube.com slash Chris Fisher. That's my name. You do a lot of flying with that drone, man. Yeah. <laughs> very pretty. Smiles on that thing. I know you What do. about you, Chase? Where do you like people to find you throughout the week? People can find me at my Twitter page at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. And I do a lot of game streaming over on Twitch. So if you uh, love Twitch, follow me there. Twitch.tv slash GeekGamerTV. Owie. Very nice, buddy. Yes, buddy. Yep, uh, and uh, check out the network on the Twitters at Jupiter Signal. Then you get uh, news announcements about this show and others over there. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Unfiltered Show. And you know what, Chase? What, Chris? We're going to see all these fine folks right back here next week.
Don't even call it overtime this week. This is the Overload segment. There's more Trump, more news. It's the Overload segment for episode 224. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Thanks to our supporters over there who make this segment possible. This is dedicated to you and all of our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you to our new patrons this week. Cool Icer, Bert, W, Nathan, Victor, Luke, Seth, David, and Kyle. You are our list of heroes this week. Thank you. This segment is dedicated to you. Okay. Let's start with having a little fun. This is just, uh, this is something I put together for you guys. I call this the Oh Nancy segment. And uh, it starts with what was undoubtedly a hilariously bad, disastrous start to the protest that uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer were at. I've got a couple of cuts here that uh, just really kind of bring home what a clown show this whole thing was. Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming out. Is the sound working? Can't hear? Bring it closer. Can you hear now? No, that doesn't do any good. Try to get close to it. See if you Does this work better? No. As staff, sound people. The young people. Shall we sing this land is your land again until they get the sound working? No. This land is your land. This land is my land. Look at that moon. It's a new moon. You can hear in the background, they're kind of prompting her on what to do to say, and during time, listen to the background, they're saying, new moon, new moon. Look at that moon. It's a new moon. New York Islands, from the Redwood Forest, to the Gulfstream I can hear you. Can you hear us? This land was made for you and me. Soon to be joined by the Senate Democrats as well. It's not on. Is somebody going to deal with this? Somebody going to deal with this? No, that's those We will fight it with everything we have, and we will win this fight. Now listen to this really carefully because it's off mic, but this is Nancy Pelosi. She's so she's so floaty that she's not even cognizant of the fact that there's big microphones right there. And she says, all right, all right, I'll do the, I'll do the real people stuff now. I'll do the real people stuff. I'll do the real people, I'll do the real people now. Okay. Let us all hold our candles high. Candles? And the Statue of Liberty, the Lady of Liberty, let me just get near the mic. 
Yeah, there you go. Holds the torch high. to introduce Farah Amir Kamal and Omar al Mazdad with their stories, their courageous stories. Yes. Are they here? <laughs> now, this was one of my favorite moments, of course. They couldn't find the people. So, are they here? No, no, they're not here. No, nope, they're not here. Where are they? <laughs> Where are they? Oh, it's so painfully epic. This is probably my favorite moment, though. Uh, so be sure you're listening really carefully. This is Nancy Pelosi trying to set up, obviously, a political moment. And everybody knows why this guy's here. But she can't help herself. She's got to coach him. Greetings from the great state of Indiana. I'm Congressman Andre Carson. Now listen very carefully to what Nancy Pelosi says. Oh, right off mic again. Yeah. Tell him you're a Muslim. She says it twice. Tell him you're a Muslim. Not only do I represent Indiana's 7th Congressional District very proudly, but I happen to be a Muslim and a former police officer. Nice job. There we go. <laughs> Tell him you're a Muslim. Tell him you're a Muslim. Now, Nancy Pelosi also has an answer as to why the Democrats don't seem to be resonating with the people. Why did Trump get elected? Are the Democrats not speaking to the rule base? Well, well, yeah, because working uh, working class uh, white voters, for instance, that have usually gone for Democrats in the past have culturally disconnected. I remember Maxine Waters once saying, you know, I was uh, my family was born with a Bible in its hands. I've heard you talk about God and faith. There is a feeling that there's a disconnect between today's Democratic Party and white working class voters, like for instance, my family, voted Democratic their entire life till 1972. My mom said when FDR died, it was like a king died. They were in mourning for Nancy winces. years. They still don't like Harry Truman. Um, but how, how, how do Democrats who have the right policies economically in their minds, how do they reconnect with a middle America who feels like sometimes they're looked down upon because of their faith or their their, yeah. their values. Well, now, of course, Nancy could say, uh, well, it starts with a fair and balanced DNC that doesn't skew the deck uh, and represents a candidate of the people. That would be a fair place to start, I would say. Um, Nancy could say, well, the, pro- the really the problem with the Democratic Party is, is that the upper echelon, like myself, the elite, we've all sold out to Soros and people like him. And so we really represent rich white America. But we try to play ourselves off as the People's Party. But really, our strings are pulled by rich white America. So if we could kind of detach ourselves from that and adopt more of a populist platform, we would be more successful and resonate with the people. That's something else she could say. She doesn't say either one of those things. It's, thank you for asking that question, because the cultural issue, and especially when it comes to rural America. You know, the dummies. Uh, the, the isolation that some people feel. That you know, the flyover states that I don't visit. Plus, they don't think that Democrats are people of faith, when the fact is that we are. The Democrats are perfectly willing to exploit your faith to try to get you to vote for us. In fact, I, Nancy Pelosi, do it all the time. It's one of my things I do. And I say, this will be a little... 
not in keeping with the spirit of the day of unity, but I say they pray in church on Sunday and then pray on people the rest of the week. Mm -hmm. Wow! We're doing the Lord's work by ministering to the needs of God's creation. Wow! (laughs) Let's play that back again. Say, this will be a little... Not in keeping with the spirit of the day of unity, but I say they pray in church on Sunday and then pray on people the rest of the week. Somebody wrote that for her. That's good. And while we're doing the Lord's work. The Democrats doing the Lord's work. By ministering to the needs of God's creation. She is pandering people and she's. The, the worst part is that she's undermining her own hand here because really she could talk about pandering to the religious base. And, and when you look at Nancy Pelosi, she does not even come across at all like a woman of God. She's not. I, I don't buy that this woman has strong faith convictions for two milliseconds. So to hear her do this is obviously pandering. And that is exactly what their problem is, is they think middle America, the flyover states, and the middle class are stupid. That's their problem. Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump didn't think that. That's the difference between those two. They are populist candidates. They they put their trust, their faith, they put it all in that middle class. They, they, they had a message of empowering them. Now, you could argue two completely different messages, and, what Na- and Nancy completely fails to identify that. Say, this will be a little not in keeping with the spirit of the day of unity, but I say they pray in church on Sunday and then pray on people the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. And while we're doing the Lord's work Ugh. by ministering to the needs of God's creation, uh, they are ignoring those needs, which is to dishonor the God who made them. So we have to, we don't wear a religion on our sleeve, and maybe we should. We don't wear... That is, so she just said we're doing the God's work and then says we don't wear our religion on our sleeve. Can you believe this woman? And maybe we should. We don't wear, wrap ourselves in the flag, but maybe we should, because we're all, Democrats, Republicans, everyone loves our country, uh, our people of faith. So there's Nancy, of course, uh, basically slamming the Republicans. Uh, And uh, then she also had some thoughts on uh, Trump's uh, Supreme Court pick. In his first appointment to the court, and hopefully his only appointment to the court, has appointed someone who has come down on the side of corporate America versus class action suits uh, on securities fraud. He's come down against employers, employees' rights. Uh, clean air, clean water, food safety, safety and medicine and the rest. If you care about that for your children, he's not your guy. Uh, not your guy. Uh, Gabby Gifford's group, the, uh, the group for responsible solutions relating to gun safety, said that he comes down on the side of felons over gun safety. Why is CNN giving this woman a platform right now? Hostile to women's reproductive rights. Uh, Hobby, Hobby Lobby case, Multi- for example. Oh, yeah. the, the Hobby Lobby case, for example. Goes on and on. Uh, criticized progressives for bringing cases that relate to LGBT. So you can kind of see she's on a rampage. I, I, I honestly think Pelosi's probably in with, uh, I mean, she obviously was a, a really tight Hillary supporter, but I would then also suspect probably also in with Soros. While, before we get to Soros, and while we're still talking about Trump, let's get into some of those extra Trump clips we had for you Michael guys. Michael Morell is a former deputy director and acting director of the CIA. Your buddy, our good friend, and now with a new disclaimer. He advised the Hillary Clinton campaign, and we are pleased to welcome him back. He's basically the head of the, he's the public head of the CIA in their most public form. And he's a weirdo guy. If you're listening and you've never seen Mike Morell, picture uh, the dad from Back to the Future, you know, with the slicked hair, and but creepier. 
and uh, obviously always here to shill for the CIA's agenda. I used to take a much more relaxed approach with Mike, but now that we've been watching him for what, a couple of years now, it's pretty obvious. Payne, and we are pleased to welcome him back as the CBS News contributor. Good to see you, Mike. Good, good to be here. Oh, yeah. So many, so where to begin with well, this? Let's start with, do you think this is an effective way to prevent terrorism? Donald Trump keeps saying it's all about making America safe, keeping America safe. What do you think the former Hillary Clinton supporter is going to say? Yes, this is how you this is how you do it. I can say I think the order is going to make the threat worse. It is going to make us less safe. Um, first of all, the biggest problem we face is homegrown terrorism. Oh, of the roughly 100 people who have been indicted by the FBI for ISIS related crimes over the last three years were 85 percent were American citizens. Funny how that doesn't works. get at that at all. Um, none of the attacks that we've seen inc- since 9-11, including 9-11, would be affected by this order. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't make the threat any less. Yeah, you have George McFly talking about why Biff is wrong. You got Biff in the White House. That's a great point, Chatroom. You got Biff in the White House and you got George McFly on the CBS Morning News. Well, at the same time, it's playing right into the ISIS narrative. ISIS has not said anything about this yet, but people around ISIS who... ISIS, okay, so I shouldn't have talked right there. Listen to, so the whole thing here is what they're really trying to get to, the narrative they're trying to set up for you, and I I shouldn't have stopped it because it's really important. It's not the first 48 seconds of this video that actually matter at all. What they are trying to do is establish a base narrative, which then they will discuss over the next few weeks if it gets traction. So it's really important you hear this next part. 9-11, including 9-11, would be affected by this order. Now. Um, So it it doesn't make the threat any less. While at the same time, it's playing right into the ISIS narrative. ISIS has not. That was it right there. It's playing right into the ISIS narrative. That is the important bit. I want to back it up just a couple more beats so we hear it. And then listen to the very important disclaimer. Into the ISIS narrative. ISIS has not said anything about this yet. Wait, ISIS hasn't. What? What? Wait, what did he say? ISIS has said what? Said anything about this yet. Oh, they haven't said anything about this 9/11, yet. Including 9-11 would uh-huh. be affected by I this I hear it again. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't make the threat any less while at the same time it's playing right in to the ISIS narrative. So we're playing into the na- ISIS narrative. ISIS has not said anything about this yet. But oh, people around ISIS who amplify its message are talking about it like Rita Katz. And, and they are saying, see, we told you this is a war against Islam. So this is going to this is going to be a recruitment boon for ISIS. Oh, there you go. Way to go, Donald. is taking a stand against President Trump's newly imposed travel restrictions. Last month, Mr. Trump reached out to high-tech leaders, but now his executive order is facing heavy criticism from some who are immigrants themselves. They include executives from Microsoft, Tesla, and Google. John Blackstone is in San Francisco with the backlash. John, good morning. Good morning. Well, others in the tech industry who have joined the chorus include Apple, Facebook and Airbnb. One tech executive we spoke to calls the restrictions fundamentally wrong from a moral standpoint. But some wonder if the tech industry is overreacting to a limited concern. 
Immigration policy protests continued in the Bay Area over the weekend and included Google co-founder Sergey Brin, who was born in Russia. He told a reporter he was there because he's a refugee. I think it's a fantastic Not on the message. list, Russia. Not only, uh, not only is he an American, he's also an immigrant. Ukrainian-born Max Levchin co-founded PayPal and is now the CEO of the digital lending startup Affirm. Not on the list. He's worried about the executive order's impact on some current immigrant employees and what it might mean for recruiting future talent. God, we're going to have to hire Americans. Ugh. I think most people are frustrated, scared. Yeah, it's super scary because, you see, as uh, as the CEO of Microsoft, uh, I want to be able to use the H-1 visa program to manipulate the people I hire so that way their residency status depends on their employment so that way I can underpay them and force them to work crazy hours that our startup-type cultures need. And so it really concerns me that I might have to hire these Americans who have these expectations of, of decency and proper wages and hours. <laughs> I'm very scared. It's very concerning. I think most people are frustrated, scared, angry. There's just, you see, there's just a total lack of workers. There's so many employed people in the United States right now. There's so many people that are not looking for jobs that we have to go outside. It's very, very scary. America loses the the status, the ability to attract the very best talent. I think we stand to lose a lot more than we stand to gain. The very best talent from Libya? sentiments were echoed across the high-tech industry. The CEO of Netflix called the ban un-American. Uber CEO says it's unjust. And in an email to employees obtained by CBS News, Apple CEO Tim Cook says it's not a policy we support. You know, all of this is such, such shit. Just say what it really is. It's, I didn't mean to say it's un-American. Unfortunately, that's not true. Unfortunately, it's very American, apparently. Just say what it is. It's chicken shit. It's chicken shit. You're scared. The brave, huh? Yeah. Yeah. We're so brave. We're so brave. We have to lock women and children up. That's how brave we are. But none of them will say it. None of them will say it's chicken shit. Though we don't support this. It's un-American. It's not the right policy. It's very concerning. It's scary. It's frustrating. It's none of those things. It's chicken shit. It's we are the land of the brave. Be brave. Let's let people come. What what happened to that? This is this is the problem is they're all pandering. They're all pandering. They're all playing politics because if they were really saying what's on their mind, they would say it's chicken shit. We support other companies are taking action. Google is creating a multi-million dollar crisis fund for four immigration rights organizations. Lyft is donating one million dollars to the ACLU and Airbnb is offering free housing for anyone impacted by the president's order. (laughs) The reason it's so troubling is because it has hallmark of being a first step for steps towards something greater. But as it stands now, the order's impact on Silicon Valley might be limited. In 2013... I have I have grave concerns about Google getting involved, uh, even if it's just Eric Schmidt or if it's company-wide with politics. I just... It really bothers me that that company, with all of its data on folks, is getting involved in politics at this level. Say what you want about Lyft and Uber. They're small-time players, but Google is collecting data on a lot of people. That's worrisome to me. I want Google... To stay out. I want a separation between state and Google. The Senate's top Democrat says he will ask Congress to overturn the travel ban. Senator Charles Schumer stood next to refugees from Iraq and Syria during an emotional news conference yesterday. Oh, here we go. This executive order uh-huh. was, was mean-spirited yeah, it's true. and un-American. 
It was implemented in a way that created chaos and confusion across the country. And of course, uh, your buddy, your good friend, Graham and McCain also weighed in saying it was a bad idea. And Democrats are not the only ones in Congress who disapprove. Nancy Cordes is on Capitol Hill with that part of the story. Nancy, good morning. Let's before. I mean, we don't really need to go into McCain and Graham much. You guys know that story. I want to I want to actually play a little more from Schumer's conference. This executive order. Uh huh. Pause, 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 sniff, pause, pause. Was was mean spirited and un-American. It was implemented in a way that created chaos and confusion across the country, and it will only serve to embolden and inspire those around the globe who will do us harm. It must be reversed immediately. Mm -hmm. Senate Democrats are going to introduce legislation to overturn this. So uh, Chuck's there. He's uh, he's got he's got the waterworks going. He's got the waterworks going. That's for sure. I actually had a very good day. And of course, Donald Trump was asked about this. Is going through a lot uh, in terms of what they're being put through in the Senate. Jeff Sessions, they made him wait an extra week. And they did that only for political reasons. It was only for, they just made them work. I said, why did they do that? Just politics. Uh, Here it comes. I noticed uh, Chuck Schumer yesterday with fake tears. I'm going to ask him who is his acting coach. Because oh! uh, I know him very well. I don't see him as a crier. If he is, he's a different man. There's about a 5% chance that it was real, but I think there were fake tears. <laughs> okay. All right, so let's uh, let's not let's not lose focus here. Let's let's keep on the trail. So Trump was also asked about McCain and Graham, and you can kind of imagine how that probably went at the time. But I do want to move on because the president had responded to Senators McCain and Graham last night as well, saying that they should focus their energies on ISIS, illegal immigration and border security instead of always looking to start World War Three. Oh, that's right. It was a tweet. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then they asked Kelly Conway. Kelly, what is your response to this? How are Senators McCain and Graham looking to start World War Three? Well, the first part of the tweet is very is really instructive and operative, George. It's like we have a lot to do and we want Republicans. Republican senators, both of whom pursued the presidency themselves, we want them to be there for this president to support him, especially when he is trying to keep our people safe. Uh, the, and he's basically saying to people, you know, you protested my nomination, you protested my candidacy, you protested my election, you protested my inauguration, you protested the day after the inauguration, you're protesting the executive order, you're protesting. How about this cooperation and collaboration, this quote bipartisanship that we're always, ta- that we're always talking about? The only Republican, person doing that is President Trump. Those are those are Republican senators, Senators John McCain and Lindsey Graham, and the president said they are looking to start World War III. I love how innocent George is here. What? The guy that's the head of the military-industrial complex in the Senate wants more war? What? And his lackey Graham supports him? This is, this is an unbelievable statement. This is outrageous. That he, you would imply he might want to start World War III. Meanwhile, we have literally, for 224 weeks, played clips of frickin' McCain trying to start wars. He is the biggest warmonger in this show's history. Just since we have been on the air, in raw dog clip quantity, nobody beats McCain in trying to start a war. Dude's even gone over to Syria, met with crazy-ass, radical extremist, quote-unquote, moderates. 
Then he comes back, fights Trump the entire way, tries to fuel the war with Russia, and somehow the head of the ABC News division, Mr. Stephanopoulos, is completely shocked by this outrageous accusation. Has he not been paying attention to the news? Uh, Ke- Kelly Ann, those the only are person Republican, doing that is President Trump. Those are those are Republican senators. Senators John McCain and Lindsey Graham. And the- he knows he knows where John McCain and Lindsey Graham fall. He knows they've been like this. They they are they are nothing but absolutely consistent. They are absolutely consistent. So there are two possibilities right now. George is lying and playing stupid. Or he is dangerously unobservant as a news anchor. The president said they are looking to start World War III. What? And he's wondering out loud, George, in the first part of that tweet, why they don't invest their energies into the real problems we have. Problems that, by the way, existed for all the, all the years and decades these folks have been in the House and the Senate. I mean, Donald Trump has been on the job for, what, eight, nine, ten days? Oh, yeah. Uh, Barack Obama was here for eight years. The extraordinary accomplishments in just the first week truly are breathtaking. Today he'll, <laughs> you know, today or tomorrow, this week, he'll, he'll appoint his... He'll, he'll talk- breathtaking! Love it. Oh my gosh, Kelly. <laughs> There's a there is a movement underway to try to get Kelly Conway banned off of television. No more interviews, they say. Oh, <laughs> uh, she's a spinner. George, give me a break. Okay. So you got Chuck crying. You got to make sure if you're trying to be one of the top Democrats of the future now that the Clintons are fading, you got to make sure that you get noticed. Sure, tears will do it. Worked great for Obama. But what about that emotional peel? The one that really sounds like it's coming from the heart. That's where Warren comes from. We are here tonight because this country is in crisis. <laughs> we are here tonight because it is a constitutional crisis. Because it is a moral crisis. We are here tonight to stand up and ask the rest of the United States uh-huh. Senate That's right. to overturn Donald Trump's executive order. Okay. We have that power. All we need is the courage, the courage to stand up oh, yeah. and do what is right. Oh, that's good. The courage. Can you can you just push it a little harder? Can you can you bring it home? This is why we came to the United States Senate. Oh, there it is. To stand up and do what is right. There it is. I call on the rest of the Senate to overturn Donald Trump's illegal, unconstitutional, and immoral executive order. Yeah, as the chat room points out, you don't have Saudi Arabia on that list. I mean, come on. Let's be honest. (laughs) Okay. So the media and Trump. A little more on that. I mean, now is former independent conservative presidential candidate Evan uh, McMullen. Now, do you remember Evan here, the uh, CIA plant who tried to run for president but never had a chance and really was just trying to discredit Trump the entire way? He has not shut up post-election. I expected him to fade away like a good spook would. But he's been writing editorials. He's been trying to get a lot of attention. He's mostly getting success on Twitter but nowhere else. And finally, the desperate CNN brings on the CIA plant, the admitted CIA plant, really. I mean, the man is an admitted CIA plant. 
And it was a total screw a job to Trump. The, the, the guy with the entire reason he was introduced to the entire game was to screw Trump. He was a total screw job for Trump, and they're still going to him. There's only one reason they choose this guy. I find it fascinating simply because I'm curious to know what he's still shucking. I mean, now as former independent conservative presidential candidate, Evan uh, McMullen, uh, thanks for being here. Really good to see you again. Great to be with you. Do you want to respond to what uh, Mr. Bannon had to say to the New York Times about the media? Well, I think Mr. Bannon and Mr. Trump's attacks on the media are highly dangerous. Uh, The media, the press plays a significant role in our democracy and in any democracy. They're absolutely critical. And you can have disputes and disagreements over bias and and even over points of fact. Uh, But to continually attack and try to erode the credibility of of the media when it's doing its job and doing its job well, I would say, uh, in the past week, especially challenging Trump. Huh, it's funny he says that. I wouldn't have expected that. Wouldn't have. Yeah, well... They wanted to pull out anybody they could because Trump really pissed them off this week. Welcome back. Truth is often a casualty as the new Trump administration implements its early agenda, not just in the silly debate about inaugural crowd size or the president's distorted view of how his win sizes up to other electoral victories. Oh, okay. So we're still doing that. We're not we're done talking about Russia and we're not questioning any of that stuff, but we're still taking shots at at the voter fraud. The voter fraud, which seems like it could technically be possible, unbiased observations that have estimated the amount of illegal immigrants that likely could vote in an election estimate that amount to be 3.2 million illegal immigrants that possibly could have potentially participated in the 2016 election. That's not my number. That's not Trump's number. That's a bipartisan number. That, to me seems a lot more solid than these loose accusations about Russians hacking the election. But yet, listen to the language he uses here. Welcome back. Truth is often a casualty as the new Trump administration implements its early agenda. Says CNN. Says CNN. I'm not saying he's wrong, but that's that's been the case now for 224 weeks. That hasn't changed at all. That's been been fact zero since the beginning. But the... The, the goal of John King on CNN to sit here and open this segment up, first of all, it's so extremely disrespectful that they never would have done this to Obama. And second of all, it feels so agenda-laden. It feels like disdain is seeping through the script, and they're using every opportunity they can to take a shot. Welcome back. Truth is often a casualty as the new Trump administration implements its early agenda, not just in the silly debate about inaugural crowd size or the president's distorted view of how his win sizes up to other electoral victories. The number of illegal border crossings is down. So is the murder rate in Philadelphia. The number of people on welfare also down. But you wouldn't know that listening to the president. We want to get our people off of welfare and back to work. So important. It's out of control. Here in Philadelphia, the murder rate has been steady. I mean, just terribly increasing. Oh, yeah. And of course, there is zero evidence as President Trump insists that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote because three to five million undocumented workers voted illegally. To point these falsehoods and exaggerations out is called fact checking. The president and his team see it differently. Yeah, I think the media is the opposition party in many ways. They treat me so unfairly, it's hard to believe that I won. But the fortunate thing about me is I have a big voice. I have a voice that people understand. The media is, uh, is a disgrace. And they've called me wrong from the beginning. 
How are we doing this morning? Because <laughs> he's wrong a lot. I mean, we call him wrong when he's wrong. And when he's right, we say he's right, because that's, that's our job. Um, and it's just, it, there is this, there seems to be this fundamental um, misunderstanding, maybe give him the benefit of the doubt, that just because he won, everyone would be like, oh, you're great. And that, that's not how this works. You get vetted even more when you're president. You've got to be open to this criticism. because that- God, I wish this was true. I mean, I really appreciate it now. I'm really glad they're doing it now. Don't get me wrong. But my God, I just spent the last eight years watching them essentially be the PR machine for Obama and for the Clintons. So it's so hard to hear this woman say these things for me because it's I don't I can't honestly tell if she genuinely believes this absolute bullshit that's coming from her mouth or if this is just what she thinks she should be saying. I, I don't know. I but to me. I, 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 it hurts because I wish this was true. I wish they were this aggressive all of the time. And I wish that they were actually making a big deal out of real things. Misunderstanding, maybe you give him the benefit of the doubt that just because he won, everyone would be like, oh, you're great. And that, that's not how this works. You get vetted even more when you're president. You've got to be open to this criticism because that's the job. Really? So if Hillary Clinton had been elected, would there still be lots of stories about her email? Would there be stories about the Clinton Foundation? Would there be close scrutiny over the tax filings of the Clinton Foundation? Because you're asking about his taxes. I don't think any of these things are true. I can't obviously know that. But something tells me that wouldn't be what they're spending their time on. Instead, it would be about the first woman in office. This is not a campaign anymore. And I think this is something that both the the president and some of his top aides don't seem to have calibrated to. I love the arrogance in that statement. So Abby here from the Washington Post She's so arrogant that she knows that these Trump advisors and Donald Trump himself himself are still in campaigning mode. And she's going to recommend to them that they shift gears now. What the hell does she know? Hey, that's not how this works. You get vetted even more when you're president. You've I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. I can't do it. I got to move on. They're making me too upset. They're so arrogant. They're so. Let's move on. Today, President Trump said the media is the opposition party. He was repeating the words of Steve Bannon, his chief strategist. Bannon was CEO of the Trump campaign. The White House now says that Bannon will sit on the National Security Council, a place usually insulated from politics. We asked Chip Reid to tell us more about Mr. Trump's in-house political philosopher. Even before gaining a seat on the NSC, Steve Bannon was one of the most powerful people in the White House. It's a breathtaking rise for someone whose job before joining the Trump campaign was CEO of Breitbart News, an ultra-conservative and highly controversial website. Jonathan Greenblatt is CEO of the Anti-Defamation League. He positioned the website as, quote, the platform for the alt-right, as a host for misogynist, racist... Islamophobic propaganda. During the campaign, Mr. Trump appeared with Bannon on Breitbart Radio. And I do like Breitbart. And Breitbart is legit. I mean, 100% legit. Breitbart became popular with white nationalists, but the White House denies Bannon is promoting that ideology now. Bannon served in the Navy, attended Harvard Business School, and worked in investment banking, but became a harsh critic of what he described as the Wall Street crisis in 2010. Unlike the manufactured crises of global warming and health care, this is a true crisis. He was talking about the 2008 collapse. That's, that's, I mean, in some ways, it was a very serious, real, immediate threat. 
I mean, and, and by in some ways, I mean all of them. He has little experience in foreign policy. Ari Fleischer, press secretary to President George W. Bush, says Bush's political director was banned from NSC meetings. Even so, Fleischer supports Trump's promotion of Bannon. President Bush was much more of a traditionalist, much more cut from the establishment. This is the way it's always been done. Donald Trump is different, and I think he's earned the right to, to be different. The White House today noted that President Obama's top political advisor, David Axelrod, sometimes attended NSC meetings. But Scott Axelrod says he only listened and that unlike Bannon, he did not have a role in making national security policy. Chip I Reed in the Washington newsroom. Thanks, I didn't Chip. touch. I inhaled. Oh, right, wait, no, wait, no, that's the other way around. <laughs> I, I, let's talk a little more about Bannon. I think Bannon is the most fascinating subject of the week. The charge about the media essentially being in the enemy camp came first from White House senior strategist Steve Bannon to the New York Times. And then President Trump embraced it in an interview with Christian Broadcasting Network's David Brody. Yeah, I think the media is the opposition party in many ways. I'm not talking about everybody, but a big portion of the media, uh, the dishonesty, the total deceit and deception makes them certainly partially the opposition party. Absolutely. I think they're much more capable than the opposition party. More capable than the Democrats. So, Aaron, uh, the press kind of rose up in unison against this. Do you think the press took the bait here? Uh, I think they did, but like, let's think about why it is that he has said this. And mm-hmm. I know you disagree with me on this, but a lot of reporters will say it's their job to be adversarial. I don't agree with that. Our job is to cover, not to fight. So I think that the media certainly invited this, but also think about why he did this. The Democrats are getting absolutely no press. There is a major race right now for the chairmanship and the leadership of that party. Right. I can't even listen to this woman anymore. I, I, I apologize that I even let her talk that long because I thought, I, well, let's, let, let's, just, let's, just, let's just soak in what she said there for a moment because uh, I thought it was great. It is that he has said this. And mm-hmm. I know you disagree with me on uh-huh. this, okay. but a lot of reporters will say it's their job to be adversarial. I don't agree with that. Why is this woman on your show? All right. I thought though, they're, I liked uh, I liked their uh, their coverage of the clips though. So that's why I wanted to get that in there for you guys. I thought that part was particularly interesting. I just have a l- just like a few more Trump things. I know we've done a lot of Trump. It's just what's huge right now. I'm going to wrap it up with these last few clips. The White House has still not provided any evidence backing up the president's uncorroborated insistence that three to five million illegal votes were cast in the 2016 election. Secretaries of state who regulate elections all over the country have weighed in on the bizarre claim, almost every single one of them saying they have found no evidence of widespread fraud. The Tennessee secretary of state did say that there were instances of voter fraud in the volunteer state in 2016, 42 cases to be precise. Investigating a falsehood, by the way, is the uh, heading for this story. That's out of 4.3 million. So news is uh, not much. Not much has changed on that uh, voter fraud thing, but uh, still skepticism abounds. President Donald Trump bringing back a familiar message from his campaign talking about what he would have done in Iraq. Listen. You brought up Iraq and something you said that could affect American troops in recent days. You said we should have kept the oil, but okay, maybe we'll have another chance. What did you mean by that? Well, we should have kept the oil when we got out. And, you know, it's very interesting. Had we taken the oil, you wouldn't have ISIS. Very interesting. Because they fuel themselves with the oil. That's where they got the money. That's such shit. Does he really think that? Do you think he thinks that or do you think he's I think he might think that, which is that's pretty scary. We're pretty we're pretty screwed. 
That's bad. That's bad. If he, I think he really thinks it. I think he really does think it. I think he genuinely believes it. And the reason why I say that is based on all of the reading I have done, he has a 0% attention span to a disability degree. I am also somebody with diagnosed childhood ADHD and diagnosed adulthood ADHD. Uh, and so I have some authority on this particular topic. And I have read from multiple accounts that Donald Trump has a 0%, cannot pay attention, attention span. You give him a couple of bold points and that bullet points and that's all he can possibly absorb. So it is very likely that he truly believes this. He read it himself and that's the only time he absorbs it. And if that is the case, it fundamentally betrays how ignorant he is about the situation in Syria. Because really, ISIS's funding came from our allies and indirect funding by us. So the oil had nothing to do with it. So that statement to me is terrifying. We should have kept the oil, but okay, maybe we'll have another chance. What did you mean by that? Well, we should have kept the oil when we got out. And you know, it's very interesting. Had we taken the oil, you wouldn't have ISIS. Because they fuel themselves with the oil. That's where they got the money. That's... That's only true to the extent that willing parties bought oil. Willing parties knew who they were buying the oil from and bought black market oil intentionally to fund ISIS. So you believe we can go in and take the oil? We should have taken the oil. You wouldn't have ISIS if we took the oil. That's that's not true because the motivation behind ISIS would have still existed. They would have found a secondary funding. In fact, the oil turns out did not last very long. That hasn't been their funding source since, I mean, has it been more than a year now? The question isn't whether he believes it. The question is why he believes he should break international law because that's what taking the oil would amount to. So, <laughs> so let's not talk about it anymore. Moving on. <laughs> we begin with the latest from the White House. President Donald Trump today received his first overseas guest, UK Prime Minister Theresa May. The two have agreed on many things, but some contradictions still remain. Alexei Arashevsky was following the press conference and is joining us now. Uh, Alexei, tell us, what have these two agreed on so far? You know, for those, Manila, who have been saying all throughout uh, Trump's campaign that there may be some distancing from the United States and NATO, that the alliance may no longer have the support of Washington, today's comments made by both Trump and May may reconcile those. In fact, they, they uh, underlined their 100% commitment to the alliance. Let's listen. On defense and security cooperation, we're united in our recognition of NATO as the bulwark of our collective defense. And today, we've reaffirmed our unshakable commitment to this alliance. Mr. President, I think you said you confirmed that you're 100% behind NATO. Well, uh, not only that, but one of Theresa May's missions in the United States was to fish for a better trade deal between the United States and the United Kingdom. As we know, we had Brexit in the United Kingdom. There's a sharp, obviously, uh, change in administration in the United States. So a lot was speculated by the press in, in Great Britain about uh, what kind of trade deal she could be uh, obtaining with the United States. It's not clear yet what kind of uh, trade deal they would get, but they confirmed that the trade deal is definitely on the cards. But there's one thing where Theresa May would definitely be happy. On the cards, he says. On the cards. Could he be a little less Russian, please? They're having so many talks with EU leaders. Trump probably is the only world leader who told good things about Brexit. Let's listen. 
I think Brexit's going to be a wonderful thing for your country. I think when it irons out, you're going to have your own identity and you're going to have the people that you want in your country and you're going to be able to make free trade deals without having somebody watching you and what you're doing. Not a lot of coverage of that visit. So I wanted to play that for you. RT was one of the few outlets that had it. All right, so I told you we were all done with the Trump stuff. I'm. Let's see. That's only tangentially true. Is that a thing? Is tangential truth a thing? I like it. The tangential truth of the matter. One of the supporters of the nationwide anti-Trump protests is billionaire investor and philanthropist George Soros, who's oh. well known for his charities run the Globe, of course. Soros backed at least 50 groups involved in the mass women's march against Donald Trump's inauguration earlier this month. That event drew tens of thousands of protesters across the U.S. alone. In his native Hungary, though, politicians accuse Soros of trying to influence politics. They're proposing now to ban groups that he funds. And as Ilya Petrenka explains next, there are similar crawls across more of Europe, too. A mega fortune and a knack for success. George Soros, a man who's not used to losing. But can he take that kind of hit at 86? Well, the multi-billionaire has already had to face it on the home front when Hillary lost and Donald won. He funded her and loathed him. November 8th, boom. What we have here is an unexpected um, mega setback for George Soros. Um, he's, he's in deep trouble. Mr. Soros was born in Hungary. His life was marked by the mission outside America, philanthropy in his homeland and to the east of it. In other words, pushing democracy in what used to be the communist bloc. Watch out for three capital letters. N-G-O. Oh! This, I think, will be the, the great untold story until some point in the future, the, the damage and disruption these NGOs cause. shift gears for a moment. Just a few more things to cover with you. Our overtime is nearly complete. As President Donald Trump's choice for the Supreme Court made the rounds on Capitol Hill, Senate Democrats were struggling with this key question. How hard should they fight the selection? All right, I'll keep it short for you. So there's that. Now, here's the second part about that. Uh, we've got some breaking news regarding the full Senate vote confirmation here on uh, Rex Tillerson, uh, who is up to be the next secretary of state. I've got David Chalian, our CNN director with the news. David Chalian, has he been confirmed? Uh, he has. Rex Tillerson now going, uh, will become uh, Donald Trump's secretary of state. I believe the vote was 56 to 43, which means that all the Republicans held 52 of them and uh, added uh, four more Democrats. I'm not sure which Democrats uh, those were. Just yet, Brooke uh, will be looking into that uh, to see who crossed party lines to support him on the floor. But remember, this is a big, big all win. Right, let's stop there. That's all we really care about. I want to keep moving. We have some breaking news out of Iran. Alert on exclusive reporting from our Pentagon team that Iran has tested a ballistic missile over the last 24 hours. So there you go. There's that breaking news. See, these are things I want you to know about. These are things I want you to know about. 
mm, I got only a few moments left. This is this was a this was a funny one for me. Okay. So first of all, uh, CNN, uh, once again, distri- d- just display an unbelievable bias. Listen to one of their uh, commentators they had on. Out and said that President Trump, excuse me, uh, uh, Bannon's poodle came to him and what? said. What? Bannon's poodle? I want to do the Muslim man. Find me the legal way to do it. President Trump, throughout his entire campaign, said the following, that he would do a temporary or permanent ban of Muslims. That He said openly, Islam hates us. Not radical Islam, Don. Islam hates us. He said he's open to a Muslim registry. He he said he wants to do an extreme vetting of Muslims. So yes, call this what it is. It's a Muslim ban. Anyone who says anything else, it's an alternative fact, which is doublespeak oh. for a lie. I'm an American Muslim born and raised in this country, and my wife, Sarah, is from Okeechobee, Florida, all right? She was born... What? Florida, and literally there were no other minorities, and so for about 20 years people thought she was Latino, even though she's South Asian. She told me three days ago, for the first time, and this is a very sobering point, she says, for the first time in my life, I'm worried about the safety of our two American Muslim kids in this country. Wow. Wow. All right. I, I, got, a, I got a great one for you. I don't know what to make of this next one, so brace yourself. So did you, did you know that pot is making you homosexual gay style and making you more girly? That's according to uh, Dr. Wesley Mohammed. Many drugs, they say, besides these antiandrogens such as Depo-Provera, many drugs, such drugs appear to at least partially divert or block masculinization of the nervous system during neuro organization. So you guys all know about neural organization and, of course, the masculinization process that takes place in boys. Uh, it's a well-documented medical thing, the masculinization process. What? Let's, I, I don't think I, I got to back that up. I don't think I heard that right. Masculinization Wait, of the look for that. Or block masculinization. Uh-huh. Block masculinization. Okay. Of the nervous system uh-huh. during neuro organization. Right. Many drugs besides these have a partial demasculizing effect. The list includes barbiturates, which are drugs, yada, 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 marijuana. Uh-oh. Your weed family is subtly, partially Feminizing you. We have documented. See how quiet it is? See how quiet it is? What? What? You want to get up and walk out on me like the LGBT walked out on the Honorable Mention Louis Farrakhan in Long Beach? That's what you want to do? Okay. Okay. Well, if you don't now, I'm going to work hard to make you. <laughs> we have documented. Documented, guys. The enhanced weed. Now, look. Enhanced weed, guys. The enhanced weed. In this confession, marijuana is identified by the conspirators yeah. as an anti androgen drug 
that assaults, that blocks the development of masculinity. Oh, we have documented that the weed that hit the streets in the late 60s uh-huh. came through CIA laboratories oh, no! and passed first through the hands of CIA assets before you were ever able to light it up yourself. Oh, we have no! also documented that not only does this does this now popular government touch weed that's right with this increased THC content <laughs> not T- only does it T-A-C. diminish executive cognitive function yeah bro you you're pretty functional when you lift it that is that is true you can go to work and if the job ain't too complex you can do a reasonably good job you could never do a complicated thing like podcasting while you're stoned, though. That, my friends... I, I would not recommend not it. Not possible. Not recommended, no. What are you doing over there, Chris? Yeah, all right, that brings us to the end of the overtime. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you have a great week. And, yeah, as you know, we'll see you right back here. Next week! All right! Get it out of here.